Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we discuss works of horror through a progressive lens. I'm your host, Jeremy Whitley. I write comics, books, podcasts, screenplays, etc. And on each episode, we talk about a piece of horror fiction and look for feminist, racial and social justice, LGBT rap, and physical and mental disability themes. And we look at works of female POC and LGBT creators. We recognize horror as a genre never agreed to this podcast, but my favorite thing about horror movies is being surprised, and there's nothing more surprising than a horror movie that has something important to say in between the screams, of course. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the 2005 movie, The Descent, and joining me to do that is fellow comic book writer Ben Kahn, whose work you may know from Heavenly Blues, Griffin, and the upcoming Renegade Rule. Also talking with us is my frequent partner in crime, comics and fine artist Emily Martin, and our special guest for the podcast this week, my first comics collaborator, amazing comics artist, and specifically the artist of our podcast, Artwork, and my good friend, Jason Strutz. Jason, Emily, Ben, it's so good to have you guys here. I just booked us a cave diving trip just for next month. Are you guys psyched? Let's rock. I would rather go into space with George Clooney <laughs> than step foot in any cave. Yeah, no. caves are not my thing. It's I'm weird not... how you have brought up that you want to go to space with George Clooney in every podcast now, Ben. Absolutely. <laughs> if I go to Disneyland, I'm not even going to Thunder Mountain anymore after this movie. <laughs> I actually love caves. Not the sure. not the like crawling part, like, you know, F that S, but like I am fascinated by caves. I am fascinated by underground stuff in general. And before I was uh, catching up on Zeta Gundam, I was watching uh, Abandoned Minds and Unusual Places on YouTube, a, uh, an interesting exploration of the YouTube channel. I do, uh, I do like the tights and the mites and the waterfalls. Those are all cool things in caves. Mm-hmm. But uh, for anybody who does not know, I am a large man. I'm a man of some carriage. I, I am tall and I am broad-shouldered. And there is no way I am fitting through any of these fucking caves that they crawl through in this thing. Literally, like, five minutes into them cave diving, I was like, nope, 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 nope. Don't like this. Um, I um, do not consider myself to be claustrophobic. Half my notes are, nope, fuck, fuck this, fuck this, fuck this. Nope, don't like this tunnel. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just that for about three pages. Yeah, as a uh, um, a woman of six feet and built with Swedish bones that are meant to resist impact, that sounds bad. From swords, I don't know. They like sent um, you. They sent you in pieces, and they had to like put your bones together. Yeah, modular. I'm modular. I'm tiny. I could reasonably fit into some of these places. I just don't want to. <laughs> and that's that's incredibly valid. Yeah, it's not so much the getting in as the getting out that I'm worried about. Welcome to an hour and 40 minute memorial to why you should stick to whitewater rafting. (laughs) Uh, All right. Nothing terrible happens then. I mean, not during the rafting itself. (laughs) I actually have two traumatic experiences. I mean, I have more than that, but 
I have, <laughs> I have a traumatic experience about white rider, white, white rider rafting uh, and going through a cave. And I'm going to tell that story later because it is uh, applicable to some of Ch- Jeremy's notes. Yeah, this movie was just like all of them, everything, it had the whole package. Um, so let's quickly do the uh, non-spoilery section here so we can tell people listening that may want to watch this movie what they can expect and see if they they want to do that before they listen on or if they want to skip out on this altogether because that is a real possibility here can i can the trigger can the trigger warning just be one loud like long blood curdling scream (laughs) (laughs) just just to recover this it's the it's the descent uh, it is directed by Neil Marshall and written by Neil Marshall. So it, it stars uh, Shauna McDonald, Natalie Mendoza, Alex Reed, Saskia Mulder, Mayanna Burring, and Nora Jane Anoon. Okay, and the trigger warnings. There's gore, there's automobile accidents, there's violence, there is a child death, there are hallucinations, jump scares, and the big one. <laughs> is just tight spaces and claustrophobia in here because it is constant in this if movie. If you don't have claustrophobia, uh, you will. <laughs> you'll, find, you'll find new things to worry about. Some of the gore is very, like, brutal. I mean, there's there's gore and then there's gore. This you know? movie may at one point have heard of discretion shots, <laughs> but made a conscious choice not to believe in them. It, it does know when to not show something, but that's only once in the movie. I guess our, our big question here is on this fear meter, where would you say this is? Is it spoopy? Is it spooky? Is it terrifying? Or is it existentially disconcerting? This is pure terror. Yeah. This is a, a scary movie. I usually don't answer this question on the notes, but the note here just says this movie is fucking terrifying. Uh, screaming. My, my like, category is screaming. I, I take notes when I do when I watch the movies so that I can go back and do this outline. And like I swear I left like finger indentations in my notebook watching this movie because I was just squeezing it so hard without realizing I was doing it. There were indeed parts of this movie where my head was like profoundly shrinking into my body, where my shoulders were like up in my ears, and I was just like <laughs> watching these characters. Like there's a lot of this movie that is just screaming and grunting. And uh, a lot of life is just screaming and grunting. Yeah, well, I mean, (laughs) yes. And there is our great meaning here in this film. But for, but for serious, this is a really effective film at doing what it set out to do, which is to scare the F, the fuck. I'm going to say fuck. Scare the fuck out of you. (laughs) With all those trigger warnings in mind and that fear rating in mind, if people are still on board, do you think this is something that's uh, worth their time to watch? Yes. Yes, definitely. Yeah. If you are like a horror movie fan and you want to and you want to be scared, yes, absolutely. Thinking about the people in my life, I would say nine out of ten people I would not recommend this movie to. But for that one out of ten, absolutely would I recommend this movie. Yeah, it's very well done. But yeah, it has to be for the right uh, the right audience. It also is worth saying before we jump into the full-on spoilery section of this movie that there are two versions of this movie out there there's the original uk cut and the us cut which is a little shorter has a different ending it seems that most of the places that you can buy them now have the us cut which is clearly inferior because the ending really doesn't make any sense if you can find the unrated or uk version uh, that that is the one that i would watch and we we'll- didn't have a i didn't have a copy of this so i i grabbed a, a blu-ray uh, and it does have, uh, it has both cuts on it, at least the most recent one. 
All right. So that is all of our stuff for the non-spoilery section. Anything you anything you hear from this point on, everything is up for grabs. So if you don't want it spoiled for you, this is your time to leave. We'll be talking about you while you're gone, but we'll be here. <laughs> okay, guys. What do we have in the way of first impressions? Who who has something they need to get off their chest right away? Well, this is uh this is a terrifying movie, and then some monsters show up an hour in. That that is true. Uh, I do want to say, like a neat fact in reading about this movie that uh, I got actually made me feel a little better watching the movie. In some points, is that uh, this movie is not filmed in any caves. This movie is filmed entirely on sets that are made and painted to look like caves, which are incredible sets. They are yeah. very well made because everything in here looks like it's in a cave, um, and it's it's tight and scary, and uh, it makes sense that they would have done this all you know on a set but the, the sets are incredible these sets are yes they really are amazing and that is crazy and when i wasn't just screaming in terror the one real recurring note i had anytime a flare was like lit and we got to see like the cave just bathed in those in that red light was just such like haunting beauty yeah it's the, a great red... uh, yeah it's a it's a great way to do a a low budget movie because they built you know, they built a good amount of these rock sets and then reuse them throughout the movie, like putting up different stalactites or just, you know, having a different light on it. It looks totally different and you can shoot it from the other angle. It's a, it's a, a pretty great way to save on, on money making this type of movie. And you wouldn't tell with the, the quality. I mean, the, the no. quality, it's, it's gorgeous. And also the, the flares and the various illumination that they have makes for some really cool lighting effects. There's a beautiful color palette in this movie and it is incredibly mm-hmm. atmospheric. And I, you, know, you wouldn't know that it was a, a lower budget horror movie at all. Yeah, the flares and then like the blue-green chemical light that they use later on in the movie both like create some some awesome looking stuff. I know, I, you know, Emily, in your notes, one of the first things you said was like, oh, this movie's gorgeous. When you said it, I was like, oh, this is an incredibly violent and deranged like horror film. What do you mean gorgeous? And it's like, oh, wait, it is gorgeous, actually. Yeah, it's beautifully shot. From a pure filmmaking standpoint, I feel like this movie is an absolute triumph. There's there's a couple like iffy, effecty things, but it's also I, 2005, I, and that's I fine. I do feel like again, it's been a while since I've been in the Appalachian Mountains, but I don't remember the bats being quite so CGI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are some CGI bats and some nocturnal eagles, and I mean, it's not perfect, of course, but you know, and there there's some quibbles that I have with some of the design later, but that's. The thing about the bats is that we weren't even necessary. You didn't have to have shitty CGI bats in there. But um, Juno does, that, or not Juno, Holly does that incredible bat, or excuse me, the, the incredible count impression, which is uh, <laughs> yes, just lovely. But anyway, so. Oh, Holly, my least favorite character. All right, so let's. Uh, uh, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna have to get into Holly at some yeah. point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's, let's jump into this. We meet Sarah, Juno, and Beth. Sarah is our, our protagonist. Juno and Beth are probably the most important secondary characters. They're good friends who like to do adventure sports together, and they're whitewater rafting at the beginning. Uh, they get met by Sarah's husband, Paul, and daughter, Jessica, at the end of the trip. Uh, as they get to shore, there's this weirdly long moment between Juno and Sarah's husband, we're obviously supposed to pick up on she doesn't. Beth does notice this and sends them on ahead. It seems like Beth's going to have a talk with Juno, but we don't ever get to see that because Sarah and her family drive home. Her husband is distracted 
seemingly by this uh, relationship and thinking about Juno. And in being distracted, crashes into a truck. Several metal rods come flying through the front window and kill both Paul and Jessica. This was straight up a final destination death. It is, yeah. Yeah, no, this was exactly, I was thinking of that. Yeah, well, except is, that it doesn't take eight minutes to kill them, which is how all the final destination deaths are. Uh, right. There are actually two parts in this movie where they know what not to show, and they know not to show the kid. But also, I feel like, again, they don't show it, but damn, that pipe had to have gotten... Oh, it's bad. It's very a, bad. That's the worst. Like, that pipe got them both. Like, that yeah. one pipe, too. That's the worst shish kebab of all time. And you see <laughs> you see a lot of a lot of blood of, the, uh, of Paul, but yeah, everything else there is implied. Yeah. Uh, there's a great shot after that happens when they kind of rise above the car and you can see Paul's hand just twitching away on his leg. It's it's serious. Oh, I didn't see that bit. I didn't see that either. I don't Oh yeah. Do not like there's a lot that goes on in this first six minutes, you know, and the whole uh, Juno and Sarah uh, and Sarah's husband, whose name I just can't remember. Paul. Paul, thank you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it ultimately does not matter. Yeah. I have him in dead affair, man. Dead Affair Man, yes. Um, Sarah Juno, Dead Affair Man, in their triangle is sort of like, if you didn't catch that pause between him and Juno at the beginning, then you're like, what is that? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's Um, super economical. Jessica, the daughter, is super like, bad things are going to happen in a movie, happy kid. She's just like, this is so wonderful. I love you, mom. This is the best day ever. Like, they always they do this in so many movies where it's just like everything's yeah. so great. It's like, oh, is that her birthday? Her birthday was so. that day or the next day. Yeah, because had the whole happy birthday recurring element of mental times are bad. Yeah, in fact, that we see the first occurrence of this. Uh, Sarah is at her daughter's birthday party. We see the candles on the cake. We see, you know, we hear Jessica laughing, and then uh, Sarah wakes up in the bed in the hospital. Has a there has a weird nightmare moment where you know she she pulls everything out and she runs down the hallway and all the lights are turning off behind her and she's trying to escape them. Um, finally, she runs into uh, the arms of Beth, who just cannot wait to tell her that her wife, that her uh, father, that that her husband and daughter are dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and Juno watches tearily from a distance. Apparently, nobody works in this hospital too. But you know, a lot of people they, they like that happens, and then people start walking by. Like it, it's it's still very dreamy because it's it never really stops. You know, her running down the hall and the lights going off behind her. Uh, suddenly, there's actual people there, and then there's then there's people that that work there and really don't care that she's on the floor crying. I feel like <laughs> Juno and Beth, we got the cross section of reactions. Like Juno is just noped the fuck out. And Beth was full on like, hey, who's got two thumbs and no family? You do. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. She's just, Beth grabs her and she's like crawling. She's crying for her daughter. And Beth's like, she's gone. She's gone. She's gone. I, I got to tell her first. She is gone. Your daughter <laughs> is no more. Gotta get that Next band-aid daughter. off right there. Mm-hmm. Right then and there. So at this point, we get a, a jump forward. To the setting, uh, well, I guess it's a year later we find out as, as it goes on. But the, the setting for the rest of this adventure is Appalachian Mountains, United States of America, which it says in my notes, Jeremy laughs because um, the Appalachian Mountains is a very long string of mountains. <laughs> it runs like through most of the east coast of, uh, 
of the country. <laughs> it's, it's like saying, uh, like, the desert Africa? <laughs> like, <laughs> my source for this is the Wikipedia article, but apparently it's, most, it's specifically the North Carolina Appalachian Mountains. Yes. Well, so yeah. they, they do specify, they go into Chattooga State Park, which is not a thing, but there is a Chattooga River um, and I know this because it's a reference to Deliverance, which is shot on the Chattooga River, which is in North Carolina. Boy, Deliverance would have been a way different movie with crawlers. <laughs> so how's the, how are the caves in, uh, in Appalachia? Is it Appalachia or Appalachia? Can we just put this to bed right now? <laughs> well, I think it's Appalachia because we don't say Appalachia. We say the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, I believe it's Appalachian. And, and specifically, the part that they're probably in, the part that people actually care about in North Carolina, are the Blue Ridge Mountains, uh, which are, are part of the Appalachian chain, but they're the, the giant scenic part of it, which is, you know, undoubtedly where they are. The caves are actually really nice. We had a couple of uh, field trips to caves when I was in school, living in Western North Carolina. There's a lot of, like, historic caves where you can see a lot of uh, geology and all kinds of fun stuff in there. Crawlers. There's also, also, I will take your word for it. There's also <laughs> my, my favorite turnoff sign in Western North Carolina. When you're on the way up to Asheville, there is an exit for Batcave. Well, that sounds I've cool. See, I've yet to see the Batmobile pulling off on that exit, but I assume it does. By the time I lived in North Carolina, I had already seen this movie and <laughs> don't go to caves. <laughs> So this is where we meet the rest of our crew. There are, are six women who uh, who are the main cast of this movie. There is Sarah, who is our traumatized protagonist, who sees and hears things. Uh, there is Juno, our uh, guilty affair-having thrill-seeker, the, the friend who is very concerned, but also very undependable. There is Beth, who is the compassionate school teacher, who is, you know, the, the one other character from the beginning who knows what's going on with Juno and Sarah and Paul, even though Sarah does not. Juno, Juno is my problematic fave. <laughs> Same, uh, sort of. <laughs> there's also our supporting cast uh, who was introduced in this section. Uh, sisters Rebecca and Sam. Uh, Rebecca is the one who knows what she's doing. <laughs> she's, she's the rule-following one. Sam is our doctor scientist for this episode. She, she's a nurse and knows things and can uh, tell you things about creatures that live underground by looking at them. So you learned that in nursing school as part of the grad program. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've look, heard I'm, about this. Look, I'm just glad she went to a nursing, to a uh, medical school for xenobiology course. Yeah, that's yeah nice. we need more of them. It's Chud 101. She's good at xenobiology and also bandaging fucked up hands um, <laughs> and legs for that matter. Ooh, we'll get to that. Like, um, that scene with that fucks up her hands, I thought to myself, oh, that's why you wear gloves. And then I saw it ripped through her gloves. I'm like, oh no, this is yeah. so much worse. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> there was uh, in a commentary or one of the behind the scenes things on the disc. Apparently, he may have realized that this might have been a confusing cast. He being you know, the, uh, the director. Yeah, um, yeah, Marshall. He, he, he maybe realized this might be a confusing cast once you put them in the dark in a cave. So he tried to cast everyone with a different accent. But I think that only works if you are at all familiar or live in England or... Like, I could hear everyone had an accent, but I couldn't yeah, the, tell people. The only thing super distinctive is Rebecca's. Might yeah. have been a little easier if he hadn't cast five different varieties of white people. Yeah, yeah, like, that, that is, is like, it's like you saw the problem and you did something. 
Yeah, but there were probably easier things to do. <laughs> I'm saying, it's, there it's might five have been white more, girls in Juno. There might have yeah. been more you could have done in a visual medium. Yeah, 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 yeah. If your goal was explicitly to make your cast more diverse. Yeah, I think... Uh, just, just throwing that, just throwing it out there. Yeah, there are better ways to do this. But it, I mean, I guess an interesting thought if you're just going to hear him talk. But then at the end of, by the end of the movie, they're just yelling. Like, There's a lot of screaming, yeah. 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 Once scream, you separate them, with an accent, you know, sure. there's not a lot more conversation that happens. Yeah, so the only one I haven't talked about so far is Holly, who would be my problematic fave if I liked her at all, but I don't, I hate her. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, she's just problematic. Holly manages to screw up so many times and, doesn't, and barely even makes it to the monsters. Like, Holly is just setting the group back over and over again before we even get to the horror part. Mm -hmm. Which makes me sad because she is introduced as Juno's protege uh -huh. with that many silent quotation marks around it, which really is like, oh, they fucking like, I really like, I cannot imagine a more pregnant pause, pardon the expression, but it's not really um, explicit. And, you know, since Holly doesn't make it through uh, and she is, uh, you know, definitely problematic in terms of the fact that she's, you know, not great. I prefer that she wasn't this movie's queer representation. Yeah. And Holly definitely reads as potentially queer, but. There's a, there's a moment of bonding and that seems like flirting a little bit between uh, Holly and Sam, but I definitely had in my notes, don't read into the, into queerness. Everyone is too like fucked. Once they go in yeah. the cave. Yeah. Yeah. Once they're in the cave, it one. doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. There's there's no. They had a lot of great bonding scenes beforehand, and like I I had some of those thoughts, but I also don't know if I'm programmed to to think that or read things into what very little is there. I thought, as far as like the minor character relationships went, I thought the one that work that I thought was just felt the strongest was uh the sister bond between Rebecca and Sam yeah um, they were good I thought like I don't know to me it was just like that was just the bond where you not not just had the setup scenes but you got to see how it affected how like really them together in lots of ways like during the cave and the crawl and like them looking out for each other I yeah that had that, real uh, uh impact on on how things went yeah like it, it felt like it, it truly did feel like a very close very loving uh sisterly bond yeah and, and we get to know them through you know a couple of scenes here of, of drinking and hanging out and telling stories and trying to establish relationships so that we'll have some idea who these people are before they go into the dark we this finishes off with uh sarah having a bad dream and uh waking up and going to the window uh, after hearing an eagle in the middle of the night. Well, technically, okay, so here's a fun fact. Technically, that, that foley is from a red-tailed hawk because eagles don't make cool sounds like that. Mm. They just go, <laughs> Red-tailed hawks uh, are diurnal, which I know from reading Animorphs. <laughs> red-tailed hawks are cool, but they're, I don't think they're, well, are they native to, this is going Oh, yeah, in there's red-tailed hawks. And red oh, yeah, no, red-tailed okay. hawks would absolutely be native to this part of the country. Okay, sure. I think they're just native to everywhere, but... Um, really, wait. it could be a, a lion roaring as... I mean, <laughs> in yeah. A second later. 
Yeah, at, at the University of North Carolina, uh, frequently red-tailed hawks will hang out in trees on campus. You will be walking through campus and um, hear hear a weird sound and look up to notice that there is a, a large hawk in the tree above A large you. hawk is throwing a pole at your face. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which is, is what happens in this. Uh, she is not hearing a hawk at all. She is looking through the window and uh, she hears her, her daughter giggle and then Holes come flying through the window and impale her in the face, and then she wakes up again. The old, the old jump scare nightmare pipe. <laughs> <laughs> the old Appalachian pole throwing eagle. Uh, yeah, this um, definitely feels like one of like a jump scare fake out, whereas mm-hmm. which I feel like I almost won't even point out, except this movie later has some of the absolute best jump scares I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you know it, the only thing it reasonably does that's not just a, a fake out is it, it kind of sets the mood for you know where where she's at psychologically mm-hmm. going into this it reminds you like they don't spend a lot of time on the tragedy after this uh, or after the beginning uh but it reminds you that this is still in in her head like she's she's acting mostly okay she's having fun with everybody which is great because everybody it, it doesn't appear that her friends are treating her with you know, real kid gloves or trying to be real careful around her. They are seemingly just having a good time. I I really do appreciate how much storytelling this movie does through like body language or just good camera work and filmmaking. Like, you know, the entire subplot involving Juno and Sarah's husband having an affair, that's an entire subplot delivered without any dialogue. Pretty yeah, subtle. It's really interestingly done, and I think really well done. If, if in fact, it needed to be done, which we'll talk about that. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, I have other yeah. grander thoughts about that subplot, but if you're going to yeah. do it. Yeah, so uh, we, we cut from there. We wake up the next morning, early in the morning. Juno is out jogging and is waking everybody up. Uh, they pose for an ominous photo, on an ominously long-held photo on the, uh, the stairs, and then they go to drive out to Juno's cave site, which is way out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, Sarah is driving. Apparently, Sarah has a death wish because she is driving like a maniac on these little like gravel paths through the uh, through the forest. And Rebecca keeps questioning Juno as to like whether she's sure they're going the right way. She seems really unsure about where they're going. I think it would be more um, obvious if at this point we knew Rebecca was the one who knows what they're what she's doing, um, because it becomes obvious later that Rebecca is like the one who knows all of the stuff about, you know, cave diving, adventuring, and actually follows the rules. But she is, is very heavily questioning Juno about, you know, making sure they're going to the right place. This doesn't seem right to her. There's there's some little bits here that's, that are interesting, too, because of the, the watch. And they uh, earlier, they have some weirdo glasses that they wear mm-hmm. while they're partying. And now they have this watch. It looks like it's from, like, a Nickelodeon Slime Time sweepstakes from 1991 or something. Totally. That's the one thing that Holly does that I'm into, other than the Count impression. So two things. Sam has the watch, and she's like, oh, it's sentimental. And then uh, Holly says, well, it's fucking mental. Yeah, she's gonna. She would. She would kill any man that gave that to her. Yes. It's a real. It's a real cheap plastic watch with a loud, yep. uh, noisy chime. That surely I, will not so come up later. That's yeah, another so. one of my problems with Holly is that for the most queer-coded character in the movie, she sure does talk about dating uh, men a lot. Which again, queer people can date everyone of every gender. It just. I don't know. It was just a thing that was a bit, that struck me a little bit in the movie. Her her hmm. discussion of men here is awfully. Um, traditional gender roles uh, yeah. of, you know, yeah. 
men men shouldn't buy her a cheap sentimental watch she should buy her an expensive watch you know but it what it feels like she wouldn't date a guy who gave her a cheap watch mm. Um, mm. i thought it was more like not necessarily an expensive watch but a more useful watch or a more uh yeah no, I didn't. She, well she seems I like the kind of person that it looks like a watch you would win in a nickelodeon contest yeah. in 1991 <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like that's where I'd be like, oh yeah, um, this is great, but it kind of clashes with my like goth punk <laughs> situation here, because you know, I'm like, is the is the disaster? She's also punk. Ooh, yeah. It's like, hey, next time I'm wearing an entirely bright orange and teal outfit, I'll definitely <laughs> put this watch on. Yeah, I'm doing my um, MC Hammer video reprise. Uh, so the other thing Holly is doing during this drive is complaining about the cave and how boring it's going to be, how it's like, uh, you know, a tourist trap, a very pedestrian cave, and it's not going to be any fun. It's not going to be any danger. So um, she is then, not into it, but she's going along anyway. Uh, Juno, on the other hand, uh, seems to think she should shut up and it's going to be fine. Uh, and Juno confirms uh, all of Rebecca's fears, to us at least, by leaving the guidebook behind in the truck. Throwing away the map and their lives. Yeah, seeming to imply that they don't need that guidebook, which uh, we'll, we'll find out why later. They, they do a quick climb through the hills and uh, find a large dead <laughs> animal. Uh, which... <laughs> they, they also mention all of the different maladies you can come under while in a cave. And that just seems like tempting fate. Yeah, they do. So, so thus far to add to, I know you're running a, a, a list of Chekhov's things. So you have Chekhov's watches and you also have Chekhov's insanity symptoms now. And, and Chekhov's dead moose. Um. The wolf. It's an elk. Obviously. I know it's, a, it's an elk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think whatever it is, it's probably not, it probably wouldn't be where this guy is uh, in, in the mountains. Like red tail hawks, yeah. Uh, the, the giant elks, maybe not in North Carolina forests. I mean, it's possible. And North Carolina mm. doesn't feel elky. No. That <laughs> feels it North. Name the places that feel elky. Montana. Ooh, <laughs> right. Might yeah. race. We got Thule elk. Sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was say, you know, further, further north and possibly east, Maine seems very elky. Maybe the elk was on vacation. Anything in Canada. Maybe the elk was cave diving. Yeah, the elk was spelunking. Like, I feel like elks belong anywhere in Toronto. Just yeah. like at Chipotle, <laughs> uh, at Banks. <laughs> This movie is really scary, you guys. I swear to God. Yeah, so this is the point where the, they find the entrance to the cave, which is just a big hole in the ground that they all have to drop into. And they're not even on the floor of the cave before Holly becomes a problem. Holly decides to <laughs> zip line down into the cave as quickly as possible, almost landing that, on top of people as she does it. Just seeing that hole was the first of many all caps giant nopes in my notes. Yeah. So one look at that hole and it's like, nope, not going in there. I'm exactly spoiler sporty enough that like at some point during this entrance section, I would have been like, listen, if Holly is going down here, I am not going down. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Holly is clearly going to get us fucked over on this. Holly, the sporty protege, not observing any kind of safety guideline whatsoever. Yeah, come on, Juno. She's too cool. She knows what she's doing. This place is going to be boring. So she's going to like run unlooking through caves. Juno may not be the best mentor, you guys. 
Really? I, really surprising. I'm starting to think Juno may not have it together. Hot so takes in. So uh, this, this first cave is actually really beautiful. Like, I do want to say this set is gorgeous. This section in particular is, is great until the CGI bats show up. All, all the CGI bats come flying out of, you know, part of the cave and everybody pretends that there are bats there because those are clearly not real bats. And it is ultimately unimportant that there were bats there other than for the, the jump scare, which is, I feel like, negated by the fact of how just CGI they are. It's someone but, pretending to be jump scared. Yeah, that bat dance I, is super great. Which I guess is, <laughs> is just acting, but I, I feel like it's a special level when it's just like, now I'm just suddenly startled by the sudden imaginary bats that are definitely here. <laughs> Neil Marshall is over there with like a bat on a stick just wiggling it at them, you know. Um, and again, this movie does feel like such a, just such a triumph of practical effects that it's this weird lone bit of just awful CGI. Maybe that's what they were scared of. Just, <laughs> no. just this imagine how bad it's going to look. Movie. Maybe the, maybe the bad, that whole bat scene was like the first thing they did and they took one look and it's like, uh, this isn't going to work. I'm like, all right, no more CGI guys. We're doing yeah. all practical effects. <laughs> Cut all the bat scenes. Yeah, I know we sold it to the studio as Attack of the Killer Bat film. Find a new plot that <laughs> happens in a cave. Designers make it work. I'm glad Tim Gunn is in this movie. I love Tim Gunn. <laughs> I need to see Tim Gunn attacked by these things. I would not be prepared for Tim, for Tim Gunn in the descent. I don't even want Chris Pratt to take the descent. So they, they immediately go down a very like claustrophobic pipe right away, you know, down through the rock. This is the first of many points in this movie where I'm like, nope, 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 nope. It's very tight. I don't want it. And they, they get into a, a slightly open space and they light flares. Uh, it's already too dark to see otherwise. This is also the first spot where uh, Sarah starts hearing her daughter giggling while they're underground, which is will continually be the most foreboding thing to happen in this movie. Because every time you hear Jessica giggle, things are about to go from bad to worse. Child giggling is never a good thing in a horror movie. <laughs> Especially disembodied child giggling. <laughs> Has anyone done a jump scare where it was a child giggling and it's just them like watching Nicktoons or something? Like... Well, they've definitely done the like child scream and then they cut to them like chasing each other outside or yeah. something. I mean, that's I'm every day in suburbia though. To think <laughs> of a in a horror movie. And I feel like there must've been some of that in Babadook. Well, this is, a, this is a very creepy laughing at what is technically a birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> is it though? Ah, uh, there's hallucination cake. I mean, there there is cake, but I mean, well, I don't know if it's like a year to the day, years to the day or whatever. But yeah, if it's speaking, a, if it's a year, then it would be. Yeah, the case fucking is, Juno it, would schedule this on the day, <laughs> on the day of. That's not Juno. Juno that bad. I kind of you know again problematic like, fave. And it would be such like, and she'd definitely be like, "Oh, I'm just trying to take her mind off of it." Yeah. Like, yeah. In some oh yeah like, okay yeah. Juno's whole deal is that Juno wants to be a protagonist so badly. Man, there is one line. There's only really one line that Juno has about Paul in this movie, and it's the worst. And uh, oh, Sarah doesn't even yeah. hear it, but yeah, it's 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 a while off still. Well, one thing I it wanted is, to to mention it is here. A wild line. 
is that okay so they light the flares and there's this really great bit where they're lighting flares and everything's red and it's cool and and it's pretty and it's 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 beautiful yeah it is absolutely gorgeous great great art direction however you know and i know it's a movie but if you're going down into a cave you want that gas monitor because you know there's like methane and stuff down there all the things that can make you go crazy the one way to find out not a good idea don't try this at home these are adventure woman tm tm my advice for if you're ever going down into a cave system uh don't go see a movie find something else to do (laughs) jason has highlighted in the notes something that you should they they knew it was safe uh they knew it was safe uh because they asked the very visible crew person that is under one of the rocks when they light those flares are you sure that wasn't a crawler? No, he's like wearing a t-shirt <laughs> and like looking crawler. at a monitor. <laughs> oh no! Oh, urban crawler. <laughs> <laughs> he's in camouflage. He's perfectly. They're like, hey, can we light this flare? He's like, yeah, you're good. Been down here for a while. <laughs> what I'm terrified <laughs> now is when I read the, my next Batman comic and I'm like, Batman, you get the fuck out of that cave. <laughs> you know what's good? You'll get right back up to that the manor. Ben's no, Batman no comic done, is set uh, like in an airship or something. <laughs> like, this is, has no this one is, done the uh, Batman versus crawlers? Like finds his cave is connected to uh, ancient evolved cavemen? Honestly, I feel like if there's a cave in and Batman's trapped in the Batcave, that's just a pretty great man versus nature survival story. Yeah. Right? One shot yeah. right there. I do feel like there is there's something in, in Ben's pitch here of... Uh, writing a Batman story and being afraid to have Batman go into the cave. Just like, <laughs> all right, I found evidence. Well, aren't you going to go to the back computer? No. Why? It's a cave, man. <laughs> Batman suddenly develops his phobia. <laughs> I'm going to have to get on my bat smartphone and check this out. I need, I need to go to the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight Bat Cave, which is just an Apple store that's been cleared out. <laughs> <laughs> it's open plan with the open roof Apple store. I am digging this open floor plan in Bat Cave. I guess actually it's currently, it's very open. Like it just has multiple caverns and bottomless cliffs and no guardrails. The annoying part about this section is it's uh, the area where Juno keeps checking on Sarah to make sure Sarah's all right. Sarah is not all right. She's hearing her daughter laughing in the, uh, in the minds of Moria here. Juno just keeps coming back to her, which, uh, you know, just, just to check uh, and, you know, tells her to maybe, maybe look around and check out some of the stuff. Um, while they have a, a picnic in, in Moria. Leads to Sarah finding the way, path forward, uh, which Holly takes point into. And man, she is 10 seconds into this cave before I'm like, no, this one I'm out on. Like, if I had made it through the other, <laughs> the other yeah. caves, the one that's uh, partially filled with water and uh, is super tight, no thank you. This movie does a great job of just, with the darkness, of just having the screen completely blank, except for just like the smallest like circle of the screen. It's, you just feel that claustrophobia. And yeah, right there in that tunnel, I'm like, nope. If that thing narrows an inch, you are trapped and never getting out. And I, I just can't stop that. thinking about like all the stuff they have hanging off of them. And that's all trailing behind them. And, and then like, it'll get stuck on something. And then, then what do you do? People, Someone has to like pull your arms off. People have died yeah. in this exact situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fucking Holly is like running through this cave, throwing the rope bag in front of her as she goes. Mm-hmm. Like, just I—that's the part that really freaks me out. Is like Holly is taking point. She clearly does not know these caves, and like is just going full out straight through them. 
And that shit freaks me out, man. Ollie goes full on Leroy Jenkins through this <laughs> unknown cave system. Yeah, this is uh, this is the part in my notes where uh, it just says, "Listen, fuck this," okay? Um, <laughs> especially as like Sarah is going through this and gets stuck. Like she gets stuck in the cave and is having a panic attack, and I'm having a panic attack. We're just just really having a moment here, vibing the two of us. It does such a good job of of showing that claustrophobia. And yeah. like we're yes. talking about like, oh, there's small tunnels and they run through and they may go through. But it it looks tough to do. And then just imagining uh, yourself in that this, situation is this tunnel, especially like if you haven't seen the movie and you're trying to like imagine it, this isn't like a tunnel they have to like crouch down or crawl through Mm -hmm. they are like they are on their like bellies like they are on the like worms like trying to make themselves as small as possible like slithering their way through these tiny crevices yeah Yeah, i mean these 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 Uh, are just about human diameter it is very very tight in there and and, uh, face down in the dust and Trying yeah. to breathe, and um, I just can't stop thinking about all the stuff hanging off your belt. Oh my, and yeah. dust is falling on them constantly during the scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, specifically, they do lose the extra rope bag in this scene. So, like, that that's going to become important is, like... So, Sarah is stuck, and Beth comes back to try and talk her through. They they have a conversation where uh, Beth tells her a joke, which is, how, how do you make a lemon orgasm? Uh, you tickle its citrus. <laughs> didn't get the catch that well that's the thing is that this whole uh bit of dialogue is is very heavy with like <laughs> you know so yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. also hard beth to has the hardest to comprehend accent of the group yeah um, i think it i think it works better i think citrus and clitoris sound better with that accent yes uh reading the joke i don't think it works at all but uh this is relatable for a lot of us, especially if we have ever been in a claustrophobic situation. One of the traumatic events in the cave um, that I experienced in my life was uh, um, a trust exercise that I did at a cave, and I believe it was in Yosemite. And it was, it was just a little like, it was basically just a hole under a rock. Like it was nothing like these caves, but there was this bit where you would go through this super, super narrow spot in this little, it, it was basically like a pit of boulders. A lot of the counselors or whatever would use this spot for schools and for kids. And, you know, I think it was in fourth grade at the time for this trust exercise, which is where someone would talk you through going through this very, very narrow. It, it wasn't just like a hole. It was like two flat pieces of rock with like rocks on either side of you. It was basically like you were between, you know, one thwomp and another, but worse than that, because swamp thwomps have cute faces. That particular bit of that system or whatever it was, was called the birth canal. And, um, yeah, I don't like that at all. However, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a nope from me. You know, I can see why they did it and the trust exercise and everything and how that's very bonding. And it's a, it's a good thing where you build character or whatever. And I saw that a lot in, in this movie. And also like, you know, Sarah being a mother who's lost her child. And then there's this, there's a child element and these ladies going through tight and wet places. I felt like there was some there was some uh, symbolism there. If you want to continue the symbolism, they are being chased by white slimy creatures. Well, the they cave. will be. eventually. We anyway. still have to get through all the nightmare horror that 
is this movie before the monsters <laughs> even show up? Right. It takes so long. And like I said, it's a terrifying movie. And then there's monsters. There's definitely a version of this movie that doesn't even have monsters. And it's just them dying just through cave related mishaps as they keep desperately trying to go forward and forward but there is no true way out don't go to caves it's the theme of the movie <laughs> she gets stuck there's a panic attack you have a joke about lemons uh she starts sliding through and she's like oh yeah i have to go back and get the rope bag at which point the tunnel starts shifting and again i scream no 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 <laughs> um, and that's like nope we need to fucking go now and basically you know scoots backwards trying to help her through and pull her out of the hole tunnel collapses behind them as you know they're they're regrouping they're understandably upset but rebecca's like no it's cool we have a map of these caves they're well explored there's several ways out uh juno why don't you go ahead and pull out that map book you brought with you <laughs> juno is like oh no i didn't bring the map book but it wouldn't have done us any good anyway because we're not in the caves i said we were going into <laughs> we're in this new system of caves that nobody's explored and i thought it would be a great idea for us to come explore it um, and not tell anybody where we were going and not tell you guys that we were doing this but you know it seemed like it would be a cool way to uh help my help my friend who has been you know traumatized over the loss of her family to come here and die in a cave um, <laughs> exactly one year later <laughs> i have in my notes juno you fuck I've, it, it honestly would have been better if Juno just fucking pulled a heel turn and it was like, I set up the car crash that killed your family. Now, one year later, I'm here to finish the job in a cave. <laughs> the most elaborate, insane plan ever. I feel like Juno's one of those people that describes himself as, as an empath because they tell people how they're feeling. Is it oh. fair to uh, call this a... a maybe a stereotypical male motivation of like, I'm going to go name a thing after myself. It seems like it's a bad decision that many people have made in the past to go explore this new thing. I think there's a little bit of legitimately wanting to be there for Sarah. There's a lot of guilt over the affair. And then there's just a lot of just pure fucking selfishness. <laughs> but God, Gina's like, I recklessly endangered all of us for you. Again, if it had been some sort of crazy pants elastic like murder thing it would have made it there would have been just as much logic in what juno actually did yeah, i mean it is diabolical the there's plenty of gaslights <laughs> like if you plotted a way to like murder five people you could <laughs> do it as effectively as juno did <laughs> do do we think that if this did work out it would have been good for sarah i don't know i mean i really like if this sarah was a good a, finds a place i think it, in, in this movie. i, I don't, I don't think this is what sarah wants anyway any day yeah. No, I think it would have been, I think even in like the best case scenario, it's like they make it through, they name this cave and Juno spends the whole trip telling Sarah what she, what like what she's feeling instead of actually spending any time with Sarah or dealing with what Sarah is actually feeling. Yeah. Like this, this is not what Sarah wants, even if it worked out. It, yeah, the only person who reasonably could want this in this group is Holly and literally, <laughs> Juno says, I did this for you. And Holly's like, don't fucking tag this on me. I didn't mm -hmm. do this shit. Ho maybe Holly wants to do this, but I feel like Holly is still also like eating pancakes and candy for dinner every night. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Holly, if you had said, Holly, do you want to do this? She would have been like, fuck yeah, let's do it. Yeah. But the real, the, the real big problem in this movie is the like, not telling the other five people that you're pulling into this new cave system, that you're going into a new cave system and you're not telling anybody else where you're going to be. I mean, 
they they introduce this creature angle so subtly like because sarah is scanning the cave with a flashlight and if you're not paying attention you don't notice that there is something there's something there on one of the shelves mm-hmm. of the cave that is not there when she pans back across it's hard to make out what it is it's something white and black that's there and then like it's different when she comes back across it with the light um, no t-shirt um and she's doing this while they're arguing so it's very easy for you to like not pay attention to it but but from this uh holly then goes charging off into the caves in front of them again because that's just how holly does everything and she almost falls off of a a cliff they find a giant drop in the middle of the uh, place and so they need to like navigate going across this chasm but they've lost one of the rope bags so they don't have as many pieces of equipment as they should to go across we learn how super competent rebecca is because like she takes extreme amounts of effort to like put in put these clips in place as she like dangles over the chasm just holding on to these little handholds you know run the line did across anyone, and everybody can make it across did anyone else's muscles hurt just watching her do this scene? Oh, was, yeah it, was, it like, looks terrible uh, i mean but, it was it was some real effort and i thought especially mm-hmm. considering all the movies out there like the tomb raiders and the um, which was name dropped in this movie by one of the characters. Uh, I'm an English teacher, Jim, not a Tomb Raider. Yeah. <laughs> the effort of this kind of climbing is so real. And I, I, I appreciated that about this. Yeah, I love that this is shown and that everybody is competent at what they're doing here. Nobody, you know, people make dumb decisions, but everybody is competent and, and nobody's like totally unprepared. So everybody not everybody can, is as competent as Rebecca, no, though. No, not everybody's I as know, competent. Rebecca's but, definitely maximum competent. But they, they do have a base level of ability to do these things god yeah just her crossing that ravine that was so stressful and it just speaks to how much tension there is in this movie mm-hmm. before the monsters even show up yeah and, they, and she puts the the two clamps into place and then she's sort of dangling over the chasm and trying to find a place to hook this next one and finds a piece of old climbing equipment stuck in the rock in this cave that nobody's ever been in as far as they know it has no documentation of it but there's old climbing equipment here and uh and she which uh, the carabiner which I think that. begs the question: What do you, what do you guys want to see for the descent prequel? Uh, Basically, like yeah. a an Everest expedition kind of thing, and probably realistically just more people with mustaches in a cave. Yes, Clark. I think I saw like a conquistador style helmet. So I think I want to see some terrible ass like colonialists <laughs> like being like, "Oh, we're gonna get, we're gonna find like a gold mine or silver mine or what oh, have yeah. you." And then just get destroyed. I'd love to I, see a conquistador squeeze through these tunnels with those poofy shoulders. <laughs> All that armor. Yeah. I'm like, that helmet was there. So I'm like, fuck yeah. Like super anti-colonialist like descent prequel. We're doing it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm 500% down for that. She gets across and she helps everybody else across. The last one to go is Juno. Juno decides they need all of this equipment. So she's going to take the rope down and throw it over and just have her, her harness with them holding her up. And she's going to go across the clamps the same way Rebecca did because Juno is Juno. And um, she is she has, right. She feels like she has uh, to do. I mean, 
And that's and, what's, that's the thing with Juno is that like, yeah, you're right. It's like, she's right and there's logic to it, but it's also so clearly her showing off and needing to be the center of attention. And I think, I mean, the person that really kind of made a mistake in this part was Rebecca trusting a hundred year old stake. That's yeah. like a climbing, that's a climbing rule. You don't use things that you didn't put there. Especially it would have been fine had she had one of those. I don't know if they're magical. I don't know if those clips are real. I don't know. Uh, there's a, I, I was actually looking that up while we were talking. Here. Oh, good. Um, I'm trying to look them up, but all I kept finding was carabiners, which are the hooks. Yeah. yeah, there's this sentinel hangers. Watch out, mutants. Or watch out, sentinels. Spring hangers or spring hooks. So th- okay. the, the hooks that they were using looked like they had sort of a, a, a spring mechanism. Yeah, they would have to do some sort of expanding under pressure. Yeah, uh, so it would, it would place pressure on both sides of mm-hmm. the uh, the device to kind of keep it in place, which is brilliant and is a thing that, you know, th- those I would not trust. Yeah, they, they put a lot of trust in those real quick. And there's the devices and there's the rock around the devices. You're depending on that rock too. You don't know what that rock's going to do. And this is the point where Juno, in trying to come across, knocks that old piece of equipment out and starts to fall and is depending on everybody else to grab her rope to stop her harness from falling. Oh, and, and boy, does Rebecca grab it. I'm Again, grimacing I, right now. I don't know if this would be against regular climbing things, but I did remember looking at that right before Juno was falling and being like, should more of you be holding on to that rope? She falls and she's already falling before Rebecca can really grab the rope. It rips through the glove and then through her hand. Um, oh. Rebecca's hand starts just just spouting blood at that point. Mm -hmm. And Um, the gash there, oh, it is a gash. Yeah, everybody else starts pulling uh, Juno up while uh, Beth bandages Rebecca's hand, which this this is like, there's a lot of grisly injuries in this movie, but this is one of the ones that I was like, oh, oh no, oh no. uh, It's so relatable. It's like Hobbs cut open, just like, and again, this isn't even like we're in the horror bit. This is just a run-of-the-mill climbing accident that could happen even on any cave climb going right. Yeah, and, and, and these are the things that usually get me in horror movies are the things that are more relatable. I don't know what it's like to be stabbed or my arm to be ripped off, but I know what it's like to cut myself with a, a box cutter or something. Like, I know what that feels like, and, and I can imagine that. Also uh, with the right hand. Yeah, um, and this was the lady that just made the super climb across the chasm. Like, she's yeah. she she's good with hands. And I mean, you yeah. and I as artists, definitely. Yeah, it, it's... Uh, like, oh no, her right, career. Left. Yeah, right? But in, yeah, any hand, honestly, dominant or not, is... That's rough, buddy. So I think his palms are one of the most like painful places like to get a cut like that. So just like, God, you can't even open and close your fist. Like every time. Yeah, every time you do that, that it opens up. I did something like that pretty much on right there on my hand with a a box cutter many years ago. Ah! And it was not great because, yeah, you can't move that hand. We're not at the end of tough injuries. That's uh. Oh, no. We're about to have another one very shortly here. I would, I would, started. I would gladly have this rope We've burn. only begun the tough injuries. While Rebecca's being bandaged up, they're looking at this climbing gear that's fallen out, and Juno shares that, you know, this gear is probably like 100 years old. You know, so somebody has been down here before, but it's been a long time. And they, they, they start adventuring through again, and they find cave paintings shortly thereafter. Beth uses her English teacher skills to decipher that there are two holes in this picture of the mountain, so there must be two ways out. <laughs> Again, they just have to rely on there having been no change or rock slides or anything to change the course of the mountain in the, oh, say, 20,000 years since that cave painting was made. Okay. 
Yeah. Holly decides this is a great sign. She's going to start leading again. She sees daylight. She's sure of it. It's just ahead. So she takes off running towards the daylight. Juno is shouting for her to stop. Holly is not listening. Holly falls down a hole and snaps her calf in half. I hate Ooh. caves. <laughs> <laughs> Holly, Holly falls down and uh, it, it's uncertain whether Holly, Holly has... <laughs> Holly. Folly. <laughs> <With her>. Folly. <laughs> Folly. That is her new name. We are yes. bullying her now. What's wrong, Folly? <laughs> they come down to discover that her uh, leg bone is through her leg and through her pants. The leg um, bone's connected to the nothing. Nothing. Yeah. nothing. <laughs> it's connected to nothing, and it's horrible. Beth puts her nurse skills into putting this bone back into uh, back into Holly's leg so that they can brace it and Holly can walk around at least enough to get them out of this fucking cave. I will note that when she falls, I noticed that Holly's helmet had a peace sign on it. And trying to sound smart, I was like, oh, in full metal jacket. I'm like, ah, that's, that's a pretty big stretch. But then there's a bit later that confirms to me that this was a reference to full metal jacket because we had the deliverance reference and we're getting, we're going to get yeah. a little freaky. I think there's a, there's good chance that's intentional while they're resetting this bone sarah hears child laughing again which means we're about to get another fun discovery you know she she wanders off into a cave not by herself fun, after, jeremy wasn't <laughs> it wasn't fun after after holly has just uh nearly died doing this sarah decides to wander off into a cave by herself somebody wants to i don't know trade riddles um in this cave she, she finds a ring you're never supposed to separate like split up in a horror movie no. but i feel like that rule goes like quintuple when you are in a super dark unknown unexplored cave system yeah like you yeah. just saw the consequences of walking off on your own you might only have sticking to out of 20, someone's pants you might only have to go 20 feet for them to never be able to find you again mm-hmm. she's she's she sees a thing that is clearly Which, eating something and, and bent down over something it's very golem like that's actually golem smeagol like um, not not a, ro- not a creature of rock. Juno comes to check on her because that's what Juno does. They they no longer see the creature there, and Juno's like, oh no, you definitely hallucinated that uh, that thing in here. <laughs> Juno doesn't have Juno doesn't have very long to play this role, but she chips it up while she can. It's a this... very brief window of chip, and then monsters become pretty incontrovertible. I am surprised at, at how little time they give to the idea that uh, Sarah is imagining these things. Yeah, there's only a few scenes before like, oh yeah, there's definitely things. I, I could see like probably goofier uh, version of this where they do like little fight club blips throughout like the whole first caving part where they're like, oh, there's one up in the corner or there's one peeking out over there but um they, they really don't spend a lot of time adding that layer of maybe they're not real there is like a fan theory that oh yeah there's that sarah is the killer and there are no monsters but to me that, just, to me that yeah. just doesn't we get so many scenes later on in the movie where, where sarah's nowhere even near what's going on it, it just doesn't work uh i think viable different reading of this is that uh, sarah died in the car crash too and this is like all this is all in her head i am this is all some jacob's ladder i am always down for a jacob's ladder theory like that's that's the most viable alternate reading here i think Especially in the American version. I think this is really the scene where it should become clear to everybody that there is uh, some sort of creatures here immediately because they climb into another cave and uh, there are bones everywhere. I think I just sent Emily like uh, a gif of the, the rabbit from Monty Python here. <laughs> very like, <laughs> this, look at the bones! Very, very clean 
pristine bones. Mm -hmm. If this was a video game, this is where you would have the boss fight. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely, like, the way behind you would close, and then, you know, there would be an inescapable room where you would have to fight things here. I gotta say, until they're full-on panicking, they're pretty blasé about just the bone room, the bone cavern. Honestly, though, if I was in their position, I would be like, rad, this one's a wolf or something. There's a skull over there. Look, there's some vertebrae. I'm um, just, I don't want to take anything, but oh, I'm so tempted. And it actually is where the kind of a zoo used to be. <laughs> it's actually a good sign, though, because uh, if they're dragging, you know, elks, wolf, moose down here, there's got to be a way to get them down there. It can't be that far from this room, however they get, however they could get out. Like, you can't drag these big animals this far without a way to, to get in there. Yeah, and, and to this point, uh, Juno has been following her her lighter. She keeps, you know, sticking it down tunnels to see where breezes are coming from because that means yes. there's a way out. Um, this room, she doesn't get a breeze anywhere, and they can't see anything. They don't know what's going on. Holly, as the camera with the infrared setting on it, is too busy uh, standing on one leg and wobbling to use the camera. So Sarah asks for the camera so that she can really see what this cave looks like and maybe find them a way out. And uh, this is the best jump scare in maybe any movie, which is she is panning around with the infrared camera and looking at the the cave and pans towards her friends. And there is a creature standing immediately behind one of her friends, just sort of there. I like the idea that that he just, uh, you know, stepped up and wanted to, to hang out and stand around too. And, and then they screamed and that's when they said, oh, now we have to kill him. So I, and the screams in their language are just like a bunch of insults because there's a lot of screaming in their language. I think this is maybe the 11th movie we've done for this podcast. Uh, this was the first time I full on just screamed, like out loud, <laughs> was at this jump scare. The closest I've come to this level of just absolute absolute shock was realizing that everything in After Midnight was building towards a Lisa Loeb karaoke. (laughs) (laughs) I would love if this movie ended with a Lisa Loeb karaoke. By the crawlers. Yeah, just all, they all come together. That's like a What We Do in the Shadows episode. Um, Because... (laughs) These critters are, like, the cool thing about these critters is that, you know, they're literally Nosferatu from the film Nosferatu, but they don't look cheesy. They have, like, the Nosferatu teeth and everything. They have, like, the kind of pallid skin and kind of roomy eyes and all this kind of stuff and, like, the claws and everything. And they are legitimately terrifying. I wonder if they used a different film speed for some of the shots of these guys. They did, according to the, the DVD stuff. Oh, wow. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, because they all the way that they moved was just exceptionally unsettling, and I was I was impressed by that. And I mean, there's a lot of movies, a lot of critters, and a lot of character designers that are going nuts. As someone who also designs characters, you know, I get, I get a little nitty-gritty with that. I get picky. But I felt like this was a pretty elegant use of a very classic design, for the most part. We'll get to the... the there are some issues that I want to get to later, but... Um, I, yeah. I yeah. think I know what you're talking about later on but i feel like the baseline crawler let's say yeah is a very very effective monster design like they scream and it very quickly like jumps and scuttles up the wall and then across the ceiling in a way that is immediately like oh shit uh, this is bad at which point they all start running sort of in every direction somebody gives juno the bright idea that like oh we should get rid of the light 
because clearly they know where we are because of the light. She throws their only current light away and they all start running in the dark in different directions. The first thing that this critter does is rid us of Holly. Danny Holly boy. gets full on Patrick Swayze roadhouse. <laughs> Yeah. This, this pain very much does hurt. <laughs> this thing straight up rips Holly's throat out. Everybody continues to run in every direction. Juno decides that she's going to fight the thing to keep Holly's body because she, she shines the light in Holly's eyes and Holly's pupils dilate. So Holly's still theoretically alive at this point. Um, even though she's missing a large chunk of her throat. This is definitely the moment where Juno thinks that she turns into Ash Williams in her own personal evil dead. At no point in this movie does Juno not feel like she is the main character. We see Sam and Rebecca head for the hills. They run off. (laughs) Sarah tries to run off and falls halfway into a pit and knocks herself unconscious. And Juno starts swinging at these things, takes out one, takes out a second one. They do drag Holly's body away, but she hears a third one behind her. She turns around and swings her pick and catches her best friend Beth right in the throat with this thing um, in one of another unfortunate bodily harm at moment in this movie the pick is just there in her throat for a second and both of them are looking at each other like they don't know what to do <laughs> Juno decides to cut and run this so, is pick and run such a, <laughs> it's such a weird moment in the movie for me because yeah, it's one of the most horrifying nightmares swerves uh-huh. and horrific death that the movie has to offer. But also, Juno doesn't just leave F. Juno full-on backs away into the shadows like she's Homer Simpson disappearing <laughs> from the <laughs> Totally. Yeah, Beth is sitting there uh, failing to breathe. She's not doing very well at that. Got like yeah, a sideways and, tracheotomy there. And, and Juno just slides backwards into the shadows. Juno um, doesn't run away. Juno's just like, nopes on out and just teleports through a shadow. She just melts into the wall. Yeah. Oops, I guess you're going to die now. She's not being evil about it. She's in shock at what she just did and doesn't know what she's doing. It is a cackling. It is a horrifying moment, only made funny by its inadvertent near identicalness to a (laughs) popular Homer Simpson gif. I I have to underscore the fact that the whole fight is shot from like their pith helmets Mm -hmm. and that's the light that they have. The, The lighting is very specific. It does a lot of favors to not just the atmosphere and that that closeness and the terror and everything but also you know the the practical effects that they have here it's very successful in that sort of half light uh all this very chaotic it's kind of hard to, to track at times but the, the important beats are are not very missable the real sense of panic and adrenaline rush is very effective like in aliens i feel like from this moment this movie does not let up an inch either that Jason Bourne style, shaky cam, very close in, lots of cuts, in much the same way that it works for Bourne, it works here given that we're supposed to be right there with these women in the most fearful, chaotic, unknowable moment of their lives. Yeah, it gives you for that brief time, like, oh, this is what the movie is going to be. It's going to be the middle section of Aliens for a while where we're just mowing these things down and like action hero stuff. And then, you know, immediately rips that out from underneath you. We we then, after Juno fades into the darkness, we move over to Sarah, who is, you know, waking up in the tunnels, discovers that she still has the camera next to her. Yeah. Anytime you move to full-on Blair Witch vision, <laughs> not going good. Yeah. Uh-uh. Not a good she, filter. She, she's got the, uh, you know, the infrared camera there with her. She uh, hears something flop down in front of her and... Uh, 
can hear the creatures around. She looks at the thing and discovers that it is Holly's dead body and that the creatures are feasting on Holly's dead body. Uh, not just eating a little, like tearing her apart. Um, this is definitely where I had in my notes just fuck this movie. <laughs> <laughs> So apparently, there's a, a this was a full size model of this actress that they built to do this scene, and apparently, this actress still owns this full size edit well creature Amazing. edible version of herself. That's great and horrifying, just <laughs> like this movie. So Sarah Jane Noon somewhere has a has a body double of herself being eaten by uh, creatures or half eaten by creatures. As she can see these creatures, they're right there by her. One of them hears her and is like inches from her. We can see it through the camera. It's it's right on top of her. She's cornered. There's a bunch of them there. There's nothing she can do about it. Except for she doesn't have to do anything about it because Juno is yelling loudly down the hall for every every creature <laughs> in this place to hear, trying to call everybody's name that she hasn't already stabbed with a pick. Um, just to see if they'll, if they'll come get stabbed with a pick as well. You can't um, stab someone in the back if you do it in the neck. In the meantime, Rebecca and Beth are being cornered. They decide to test the theory that these things can't see them with, if they don't move. So they, they snuggle up into a chasm. Crumb's um, inability to know when people are literally like an inch or less away from them gets to almost comical degrees by the end of the movie. Yeah, I guess like maybe they don't have that much experience with humans, like tracking and killing humans. I I, I doubt there are many uh, elk that have the presence of mind to be like, if I stand still, <laughs> they'll leave me alone. True, but once they're literally standing on top of one of the characters yeah. and not yeah. noticing her. And also fire. Like, and also fire. Fire, fire very honestly, hot. For yeah. these things, honestly, for these things, the fire is probably just like, the fuck is that? Like, I don't hmm. have no frame of reference for a fire. I have no idea what that shit is. Yeah, this so, uh, uh, crawling over the top of them scene is where they really put their uh, heavy-duty merkins to the test. Was the, wait, hold up. <laughs> yeah. Was there visible Merkin action here? There, yeah, like when they start when they when they're crawling on the ceilings and all that stuff. There's some there's some good shots. Uh, okay, good shots I... of the of the chuds. <laughs> but yeah, especially like where they're lying in the trench and like crawls over the top of them. It's yeah, heavy duty Merkins. Yeah, because there there is <laughs> I no. I have not yeah. noticed this at all. I, well, I noticed that there weren't any visible wangers, like, mm. hanging out, which is the other thing that, like, would have made this so much worse. Because, like, there's some oh, yeah. there's some brutal <laughs> imagery where, like, these things are kind of huddled over these women's bodies and, like, you know, just going nuts, eating their <laughs> intestines. This is sort of a very different scene. They were huddled down <laughs> in this trench and there was just, just, a, just a limp penis just kind of flapping against them. Yeah. Just they're, always, they're always crawling with the legs splayed and everything. This should be much more comical <laughs> than it is. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm, I think the Merkins is that was a good choice. Um, I mean, blank like uh, Baron Afanas, like just blank crotch would also have sufficed. Yeah, these things cannot. They, even though they are set up to hear stuff. They're blind like bat. They're, they echolocate or whatever. Yeah, that is the one thing that I really like that is kind of unique about this design as compared to, you know, the, the many other creatures that we've called them by the names of is they, they make a clicking sound theoretically okay. to echolocate. They never say this, but, but that seems to be what they're doing. Generally, with echolocation, the other thing doesn't also have to make a sound for it to work. 
Yeah. I'm pretty sure this movie thinks echolocation is just good hearing. I mean, I guess they can't see the people if they don't move. Like if, and, and also. Frog. They used frog DNA. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's the frog DNA that gets in the way. <laughs> Certainly can't sense heat of breath or heartbeats. They intimate that these creatures come out of the caves at night to hunt, you know, the local mammals. I don't know how these things hunt running through like normal woods. Yeah, it must be Shouldn't. very dark there is all I can imagine. Then it's then it's just hearing, which, you know, is done, but usually you get better night vision. I yeah. mean, the things so this, in a quiet place were this, pretty like... This light. happens in, in my favorite, like, this is our doctor scientist scene for the whole the whole thing. The sisters are are cornered by this thing, and Juno saves them by by hitting, by, you know, popping up behind this thing and stabbing it. Juno is like, uh, Rebecca's like, we need to get the fuck out of here. And Juno's like, no, we got to get Sarah. We got to fight these things. Because I'm the protagonist of this yeah. story, and this is what needs this to was, happen. This was Juno's ultimate I'm the main character moment. And she's like, Sam, you're a nurse. Look at this thing and tell me all of tell me everything everything you can figure out about this thing by looking at it. Look, nurse, Pokedex, what's the difference? I kind of like the idea that as a nurse, she was just like, I guess I'll say some shit about how it can hear good. Like, it's like right, Juno, Juno asked. eyes are fucked up. This it doesn't not- have TB, or maybe it does. <laughs> no visible, visible I'm, sexual organs. I'm pretty sure uh, this one twenty over eighty diabetes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and by the way, this is all after the Schrodinger's. Not Schrodinger's. Oh my God, the checkup. Different, different European guy. <laughs> Did the watch, or not? watch goes off? The watch is both is both ringing and not ringing. <laughs> yeah, the watch is both shitty and not shitty. Yeah. Well, that's the nature of the UK-US ending. Sarah's both in and not in the cave. Whoa! (laughs) They're off to look for Sarah. Sarah, in the meantime, has found an old-timey pack with everything she needs to uh, make a torch, has minecrafted this fucking torch, and is now now leading an old-timey expedition through the caves by herself. Um, Give her more time and Sarah will have a sword made of diamond. Thank you, Jeremy, for making... It's taken us this long to make a Minecraft joke. (laughs) Holy shit. She definitely, like, opens this pack and is like, all right, if I break this and I repair this and put this together, rip some shreds of of clothing off of my dead friend, then I can make a torch. So she is is halfway through making a house (laughs) at this point. (laughs) Yeah, she's wandering through, like, another bone blood chamber. Beth's uh, hand shoots up and she's like... And yeah, that's right. Sarah comes in and kind of talks to her. And Sarah's like, oh man, you look terrible. What happened to you? And it's, it's, it looks bad. Like her, you, there's a shot of her legs. Like they start at the legs and get up to, to where her face is and her legs are all bitten up and like it's, maybe not oh. even there anymore. Like she's in real bad shape, but somehow also alive and able to speak. Enough decently. to at least tell, tell Sarah that she needs to run away, which Sarah should already know by this point. You should um, get out of this cave. Yeah. Not that one. <laughs> hey, about this cave. You Check. should leave. And this isn't the right cave. Oh. <laughs> Sarah, I figured it out. <laughs> Juno took us to the wrong cave. She says uh, about Juno and she did this to me. Uh, yeah. she, she seems to ascribe motivation to Juno here. Yeah. Sarah, but... I figured it out. It's pronounced Appalachian. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they're so pissed off. That's how I managed to speak through both sides of my neck. 
<laughs> I don't hold way. both sides of my throat when I'm talking. Blood just spurts out. It's it's very unfortunate. Got, I have these extra holes now, and I can sound just like them. I'm actually <laughs> a fish now. I have gills. Um, oh no, it's the shape of water. <laughs> so mm. she tells her to stay away from Juno. Then she she says that Juno did this to her. She shows her that after Juno stabbed her, she grabbed Juno's necklace. Um, and what seemed to be just her falling and just, you know grabbing for something, she pulled off mm. Juno's necklace. And she tells Sarah that, it, that Juno's necklace was from Paul. Uh, Sarah wipes it off to discover Paul's favorite saying is on there. Live, uh, laugh, love. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was live, Paul's laugh, and nobody else's favorite <laughs> saying. It was on his kitchen wall. Then she looks at the necklace and engraved it. It, it says, it's Miller time somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, no. <laughs> it might as well just say like Juno and I were fucking sorry. <laughs> Juno is bad and a disaster. Don't trust Juno. Also, she killed Beth. May have been an accident, but we're not going to tell you. Also, go check out some books on gases underground. Mm. That might help. Do you ever wonder why I hand out necklaces with a, a, a feather charm with my special saying on them to all of my secret what? girlfriends? Oh, <laughs> fucking Paul. Damn it, Paul. What? That's, Paul that's what the, the real sequel to is. Sent to is just her going around finding all of Paul's secret families. <laughs> God. Fucking. When you put all the feathers together, to it's a puzzle. You put all the feathers together and it's a, a turkey. It makes a, it makes a red tail talk. <laughs> <laughs> a nocturnal one. Nocturnal red tail pole <laughs> shooting hawk. And that, and that was the real secret. That was what killed Paul was like the pipe hawk. <laughs> Yes, it was the hawk the whole I time. I thought it made a bald eagle, which led you to look at the Declaration of Independence. Oh, yeah. Back to the Declaration of Independence. Uh, Paul had written his confession. Paul was secretly a mason. They were still all of- processing all of this when... Uh, when Beth, her best friend, is like, hey, before you go, could you grab that rock and bash my head in? Because uh, I don't want to continue to live like this. I don't know what's going to happen next. Pretty much, I'm like, hey, Gestures Sarah. vaguely around, like. Hey, Sarah, you know that mental health of yours that's really just holding on to the edge? Gonna need you to let go for me. You yeah. Remember how, you remember how a year ago, people very important to you died. Well, what if you had had the chance to bash their head? heads in with a rock do you think that would have been better and this is this is the second uh this is the second scene that they know not to show like in graphic detail yes you get a good silhouette of it happening and she like crab walks away it's a tasteful zoom out yeah yeah at which point sarah gets attacked by a crawler kills that one fights another crawler falls into a blood pit which the blood pit is a nice sort of water feature in this place it's (laughs) Not, you know, not what everybody does, but it is a pit that is full of blood. It must smell great in there. She falls directly into that. Comes out real, real Rambo-y. Blood um, pool starring Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, well, it's, uh, okay, so she falls in the blood pit. Her torch is on a mound of skulls or something. That's right there. Um, and uh, she rises out of the pit, just like straight up out of Apocalypse Now. And that's where oh. I was like, oh yeah, okay, Full Metal Jacket, Apocalypse Now. I see, I see you. Speaking of Full Metal, I'm just like, okay, we've got a torch. We're in just like this endless pool of blood. 
Oh shit, this cave is inside gluttony. Yeah. So for all you anime fans, there's your full metal alchemist joke in the descent. <laughs> yeah, okay. Like I kept trying to write in my notes like full metal jacket, and it was really hard not to write full metal alchemist. <laughs> I'm surprised like... there hasn't been more crossover art, just like the Elric brothers in Vietnam. They gotta wear jackets too, right? Yeah. yeah well they do wear jackets. A full metal um, alchemist jacket. Or we get the worst alternate history urban fantasy ever of what if the Vietnam War had wizards? <laughs> and it's Jacob's Ladder! Look, oh, what? Can, look, someone can tackle magical Vietnam War, but it ain't gonna be me. They did that. It was in The Watchmen. But um, anyway, the, well, there was the one, and it was Dr. Yeah. Manhattan. And it was kind of one-sided. Like, it was kind if of, someone was wants good. to take that premise and run with it, go for it. Yes. I am doing nothing with it beyond this one, like, this one-off joke. But if you have ghouls in the secret, magical, evil Vietnam, sounds, it's so bad. Don't, be careful, y'all. to bring it back to anime, I'm pretty sure that's the original Blood Plus movie. Oh, His yeah. Vampire Girl out of Vietnam. In that's Vietnam right. Oh, my God. I can't, I can't talk about anime anymore because it's going to be everything I talk about ever um, <laughs> otherwise. So I'm going to get back to this ghoul that Sarah kills. This ghoul mm. that she kills is a baby ghoul, which is extra fucked up because, you know, lost her child. Now she kills mm -hmm. another child. Ghoul that comes out after that is a woman ghoul. How do we know? Because she has hair and tits. Maybe even eyelashes, too. I don't know. Not happy with that design choice, guys. Not no. great. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that design either. You know, if it was just like naked like regular naked ghoul tits like okay i could i could jive with yeah, that like tits are Anna merkin yeah they're theoretically it's you know, not full on like animals. the world of warcraft species would always be like well here's our big tusky like crazy burly monster man and here's a green lady <laughs> here's our mm -hmm. spelt lady that looks sort of kind of like a uh, blue yeah luckily like, she's not a sexy ghoul I yeah it's not no it's no. not that far it, it's definitely not that far but like if that's the scale this is like a five or a six yeah yeah, it's right in there with like yeah. Jane Foster's Thor costume that has, you know, boobs in her plate armor. Like, But the fact that she's killing the baby and then the mother, yeah. I feel like can be symbolically neat, especially as she's sort of like, she's killed her best friend. She's killed baby. She's killed mama. It's sort of like a whole descent. <laughs> at, at this point, Sarah is in full on blood warrior mode. I'm into yeah. it. I'm so into it, though. Yes. Yeah, this is where she then, like, stabs something through the eye and then, like, beats another thing to death with a, a bone club. Um, and then we have a shot from Aliens, which is her with the fire and the, the weapon or whatever. And it's, like, it's perfectly, like, I think it's the same exact, like, aspect ratio and, like, placement, you know, composition and scene. Mm -hmm. Just different props. But I appreciated it um in in that and uh you know her the her whole like now that she's just covered in blood and screaming <laughs> super into it <laughs> yeah. well she's she's definitely assumed the mantle from from juno of uh of action hero like yes. now at, at this point we know who the real action hero is i mean who among hero? us at some point in 2020 hasn't just felt that it felt like they're just covered in blood and needed to be screaming and everything. <laughs> yeah, that was a mood. That was a, uh, so, so, as they say, big mood. Yeah, this is, uh, <laughs> I feel like every every week on this show we have a, oh, 2020 feels. This is the, this is the way we want to feel it. <laughs> 20 with the torch and the bone club screaming mm -hmm. at the uh trenched in blood and screaming at nothing well at everything really screaming into the void question has this slowly reaching this like has become oh, no. the monster point at this point 
Yeah. And then we return to Sam, who has been recast as Holly, is running ahead, <laughs> no apparent reason, finds a large chasm, uh, which she, we should note, is not equipped to cross. She is not the sister that is good at crossing chasms. She's the short nurse one, but she tries to do it anyway for some reason. She puts her clip up in the roof and ventures out over the uh, the chasm with her, her rope attaching her to the, uh, the clip. She apparently hasn't paid attention to the fact that these crawlers can just crawl across sea and you know juno and rebecca catch up with her and are like what are you doing and she's like nope i'm i'm climbing through here now this is happening and she gets stuck and then the crawler crawls across the ceiling and they have a fight and uh she manages to get a good stab in she does better than holly before the creature you know rips out her throat and she is left dangling over this uh this tunnel that was a rough shot of her dangling from the ceiling once the the blood shoots out and she like flops over and and like the camera's underneath her so all that blood is just like flying at your face i'm like wow movie that was a pretty brutal death i don't think you can top that and then the movie goes fucking watch me (laughs) (laughs) that that, death feels very much like you know like I want a death where there somebody's just left hanging by these clips over the pit. How do we get to that? Mm-hmm. And then they figured it out backwards from there. Totally. Uh, Rebecca's death almost feels like a an afterthought because while she's busy screaming over the death of her sister behind Juno, she gets pulled back into the cave by a, uh, a bunch of things behind her. And the cave that they've just come through is not tall enough for them to stand up. So she is like stuck halfway into this cave as creatures begin eating her alive and ripping her apart. Juno, seeing her friend in danger, does what she's best at and goes the other fucking direction. (laughs) (laughs) Zing. (laughs) She's like, well, my friend is being eaten alive. I should, I can't cross this chasm. There's no way across. Chick has my climbing gear she's dangling from. So I guess I'm going to jump away from this death. This is definitely like, that happened in Jennifer's body and now it happened in Descent. But I feel like that's definitely the kind of death I now fear the most is like being eaten alive, like torso innards first and still alive watching it happen. (laughs) That is now my absolute number one nightmare death thanks to Jennifer's body and the Descent. And Juno doesn't even have the decency to like bash in anybody's skull to keep them from no she'd never do that y'all if i'm ever being eaten alive torso first fucking bash the hell out of my head just fucking please can you drop like a contract on the woman that she yeah (laughs) listeners this also goes for you if we're around like (laughs) fucking mercy kill my ass in a heartbeat if we're in that (laughs) see me on the street and i'm being eaten alive just jump in there (laughs) Don't, don't stab my don't stab people assaulting me just go ahead and bash my head in. This is now a contractual obligation. If Megan Fox I have is a notary mur- public. <laughs> By listening to this if podcast, you see you Megan Fox murder cannibaling me, don't let me go out like baby Billy Joe Armstrong. <laughs> Are you, but though, if it was Megan Fox though, that might be like, the exception though. Like I would want to watch. <laughs> I mean, fair. That's a good. That's a good list to compile. We would not mind watching devouring us intestines first, <laughs> and who we would rather just have someone bash your head in, so you don't have to like, you know. Is that is that a whole other category of fuck Mary kill? Yeah, I'm a stomach <laughs> fuck ache. Mary kill entrail eat. I'm yeah. honestly getting a stomach ache just being on this conversation. <laughs> okay, let's move on. <laughs> I, I was just waiting for you to say that the siren was on your list. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, anybody that has. The, the the name Siren. That's a deep cut for all you who know me. Yeah, Juno jumps off the cliff, lands
hands in water where the crawler has just fallen. Oh. Crawler seems to be dead, but of course it's not because who can give up on that jump scare? Sam, with, Sam de- with death up like on the dangling, did anyone else get dizzy? The camera was spinning around so much. As she yeah, there's several points in this movie where they're like going through tight tunnels and they start spinning the camera. There was at least one point in this movie where I was just like, no, fuck you. Stop that. <laughs> Yeah, it's Stop it. super effective. You're doing that. That's not that's not the tunnel. Just knock it off. God damn it, movie. Stand Stop being effective. Straight. Yeah, so uh Juno Juno manages to kill another crawler at this point. You know, kill the one that was already started off by Sam. She's climbing out of the thing and climbing up a, a wall and starts to fall, but she is rescued by Sarah, who is there for her friend Juno, pulls her uh through the hole into the chasm where she's hanging out these days. Just chilling, you know. Just yeah. chilling. Just chilling um, in a new cave pad. Yeah. She starts asking her questions about, you know, who, who's alive and who's dead. And she asks about Beth. And uh, Juno says, oh, yeah, she, she didn't make it. And Sarah says, did you see her die? And Juno says, yes. You know, which, like which, a liar. Yeah. Oh, no. We know not to be she true. Did. First yeah. thing she could have possibly said. Yeah, because uh, Beth who Sarah did just see die while she bashed her head in with a, a rock, knows that, you know, Beth is like, yeah, uh, Juno did this to me. You shouldn't trust Juno. So Juno decides to go ahead and prove that point for her. Here's the thing, though, is that if you accidentally put your pick that you use for climbing rocks through somebody's neck and then they and then you take it out and they fall over, I would say mm, probably saw them die. <laughs> How did, how could Juno have known? I mean, she did run away. She didn't bash her head in with a rock. There were crawlers everywhere. I, I, I think it was, mm-hmm. it, I think that the way of admit, of like giving Juno a chance to just like admit that she did it. Right, 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 yeah. right. Yeah. But, you know, did Juno see Beth die? This is where the demon lawyer comes in. Yes. Um, <laughs> so again, so Beth thought. lasted a shockingly long amount of time after taking a pickaxe to the jugular. She thought that she did see her die, and and I think it's it's kind of like a uh, uh, if you're working in a in a wood shop or something, you don't walk up behind the person using the table saw and surprise them. Mm-hmm. So mm. whose problem really was this? Mm-hmm. I think you're you- blaming the victim. <laughs> It might be. And Sarah uh, calling Juno on like, oh, you killed her. Kind of pot calling the kettle black. Sarah <laughs> killed her. They yeah, both- there is a logical, a big, a big logical argument to be made here. <laughs> but then again, it's like Sarah is so clearly not operating under any kind of logic or mental stability at this no. point. I mean, is anybody no. though in yeah, this like, situation? <laughs> it almost makes sense that like she'd put extra blame on Juno just to well, totally, deflect blame from her. At this herself. point, at this point, show. Juno has, uh, you know, she's found out that Juno was was having an affair with her husband, took her to an unknown cave, and, and now caused the death of uh, her friend. So, like, Juno's three strikes down now in Sarah's mind, and in, in a even a rational person's mind, I don't want to be that person's friend. Like, <laughs> once you do all three of those things, I'm kind of done. If we get out of this, you are off my contact list. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Unfriend Christmas card this year. Yeah, yeah. there's no this Facebook. I don't think is a thing yet. So MySpace no longer top <laughs> yeah, eight. Not making it out of here and going like so. Back to rafting next year. Did yeah. you want to get lunch before we go? Well, it's like now we're starting to wait here. like murder with assisted suicide. It's complicated. Can we just? <laughs> It's a it's a nuanced subject. <laughs> Many views. We've moved we've moved beyond the realm of demon lawyer to just straight up. Do we have an actual lawyer? Yeah, we should get. <laughs> 
we should do an episode where we like talk about all of the movies with like these these little semantic issues with the the evil and then we actually have a lawyer so big question in the gremlins universe what constitutes after midnight <laughs> at what point is it no longer after midnight dawn is it sunrise that needs to be specified if you cross time zones what happens oh yeah if you cross the uh but daylight um, savings time Right. Yeah, there's Grim no Mom. way Gremlins that's... Evolution knows to take daylight savings time into account. That's that's my pitch for Gremlins Three. They feed it at eleven oh five, and they're like, "Oh, great! I I did it! Fantastic! Oh no, Gremlins don't know about daylight savings time." That's and we know they don't know what time it is because it would be an obvious orange and green watch. No, if you can't get them wet, <laughs> we assume that Gremlins like lick themselves clean like cats. Duh. I mean, Gizmo's fluffy. Gizmo's fluffy. He looks clean. Like he's cleaning himself somehow. Oh yeah, water. no, totally. Yeah, and and you know, in in Gizmo form, is mammal-ish. So they're they're wet inside. <laughs> <laughs> so is Gizmo. All right, we gotta get to so friends, so clean, clean. I, I think I think Gizmo is wet inside is where we need to <laughs> the annually <laughs> and that's how the descent the ends. Spoilers. Okay, so this is where Juno Sarah wakes up and Gizmo's there. <laughs> this is where Juno <laughs> This is where Juno informs Sarah that previously, before uh, she ran away from her other friends while they were dying, that they had discovered that there were some arrows left on the walls from the guys who were here previously, and they think maybe these will lead them out. They're following the opposite direction of the arrow, so I think the idea is that if they go the opposite of the arrows, then they'll find where that other group came in from. They're making good time through these caves, uh, not falling down any holes like their buddy Holly. Buddy Holly. Anyway. Um, <laughs> their buddy Holly. I see what you did there. And uh, they, they come up into a, another cavern full of bones in which there is just some sort of intimate of these creatures just sort of hanging out <laughs> naturally, uh, being as they're the last two surviving people and they're Sarah and Juno. They decide that they're just going to fight all these fuckers. So it's they, Dynasty Warriors time, man. Just <laughs> <laughs> rail through them they go in swinging sarah bites and rips out the throat of one of these things uh puts their thumbs through the eye of another one juno is throwing picks everywhere juno is still using a human weapon and fighting like a human sarah is just fully feral at this point yeah it's fucking awesome She's, i mean they <laughs> i did read out that they as the movie went on they had especially at the end they had her movements get closer and closer to how the crawlers move yeah, yeah. she was used definitely a little bit more creepy crawling she went cave native sarah moving weird and ripping out throats pulling out eyes and just uh really really going ham and they having killed all of the crawlers they both stand up and turn around and face each other sarah's got her pick and juno's got hers and uh they're just having a long look at each other and sarah lets juno's necklace dangle from her hand to show that she has it and nobody says anything then uh sarah goes ahead and, and drives her pick into juno's leg as as they can hear the next wave of of uh creatures getting closer i mean that um, was a lyric in jolene right <laughs> <laughs> the part where jolly parton like shoved a pickaxe into jolene's thigh and learned to leg and then left her to be eaten by monsters yeah i'm, I'm pretty sure that's the i mean that's the verse that sometimes they don't sing but 
Like if you listen to the extended version. <laughs> yeah, see, like, I, know, I know it's I know it's more it's subtext, but like if you read into the if you read into the message, yeah. it's a uh, subliminal yeah. underneath the actual. Yeah, you just play the song backwards. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, we we don't actually see Juno die. We do hear Juno scream in the background as Sarah runs off. Sarah Sarah now does fall down a chute, but then she lands in daylight and decides to climb a mountain of bones. Uh, to to get out of this cave she makes it out she's on the mountainside she gets in the car she drives away she decides to stop and vomit out the window for a while uh she almost gets hit by a logging truck which is nice just just get a couple more uh, jump scares in there uh she vomits out the window and then she leans back into the car and uh dead juno's ghost is in the car with her and if you're watching the american version it's over you're done. you, you did it, it. <laughs> you did it you did it out you get to live forever ghost. traumatized and seeing ghosts you know everything's great Ray. it doesn't make a damn bit of sense the end no. but what the- happened to the ghost daughter and the cake don't worry about it who knows yeah this is like a, a shot specifically of sarah's eyes as the thing ends which is like a real it's a real weird bit uh the thing is if you're not watching the american version if you're watching the uk version or the uh you know unrated real, american version or the real version yeah yeah she she leans back in and sees dead juno there and screams and her screaming wakes her up because she's still in the cave she's there with her daughter uh celebrating her birthday with her daughter's cake with the candles on it uh never mind that she is in a part of the cave by herself with her torch which is what she's seeing is her daughter's birthday cake she is she has gone full-on crawler at this point and is just, just having a little birthday party with herself which is a dark dark ending but much mm-hmm. more satisfying than the the what the fuck of the american ending oh much more it, it's absolutely the, it's a dark bleak ending but it's the right ending for the movie she now owns the cave yeah. just like juno wanted very spacious at she least knows. there's at least 10 bedrooms in there she <laughs> is now queen of the crawlers and you know it's it's interesting because a lot of the like summaries or discussions about the all about the british ending that i was reading were like oh and the creatures are closing in on her um and i was like that's not the way i read it at all i read mm-hmm. it as like she's happily living in the cave with all these other crazy creatures now and she's <laughs> she has become the monster um, and that should have been the real descent too. Yeah. Where she yeah. now like sends them out to destroy the human world. <laughs> yeah. Or you know, she's Or even just like again, like they go looking for it. it's like, okay, we think we found the mountain path that they went, even though they didn't fucking tell us. Yeah, well they could and, find the cars not far from the Yeah. Yeah. And then you think it's the crawlers and that it's like picking them off. And then really you find out like, no, it's Sarah who's killing them. My my vision for the descent too is that, you know, Sarah has like started a school down there where dead Beth is teaching <laughs> the crawlers. And there's a, a hospital where dead Sam is is diagnosing and helping all of the crawlers with their, their issues. And, you know, Rebecca is, is teaching them proper climbing etiquette it's a whole like civilization under there that she's putting together her her and her ghost daughter it's like a whole missionary group alternate universe the descent rafting trip goes fine uh there is no car crash and instead we just deal with we just have a emotional character driven drama about a sporty woman dealing with a crumbling marriage and holding on to motherhood and her own independence alternate alternate version all the crawlers have feather necklaces too what (laughs) oh my god 
Pa, you pa, 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 fucking everything. Sir, pa, you dirty, dirty man. <laughs> Maybe they're all Paul's like spawn, and he was. <laughs> just mark them all. Oh no, Jason! You dra- in the notes. You've you mentioned something I wanted to get to before we wrap up, mm-hmm. which is: Does Juno deserve to be like pickaxe and the in the calf and left for dead? That's a good question. Yeah. So, like I said, she's she's definitely done three bad things leading up to this but it i mean it feels like sarah is doing this on on behalf of the affair more i might be reading more into it than necessary on that yeah but she does you know dangle the necklace to be like yeah it happens right before that and i mean that's that's a little the the idea that the the other woman is the problem in an affair or uh, in an affair involving a, a, a husband perhaps and it's not like it's not the guy's fault it's this other woman the women have to fight over it and that's a little not great i don't think no i don't think juno deserved to be like stabbed through the leg and left for dead to be eaten alive but i also don't feel like the movie played it as like as a heroic moment for sarah it felt no. as like a moment of like oh she is gone like crawler human it doesn't matter like she is just yeah it was, it was a, blood a very now. it was a strategic move as well and you know if yeah. she leaves her there they're going to be focused on on juno and yeah in that situation you know it's i want move. i want sarah to survive more than i want juno to survive it's a move of like animalistic survival. Like it definitely yeah. feels like a move, moment where, and again, it's what makes that like the real ending so powerful is it feels like a big moment of Sarah just throwing away humanity. But it comes right after like the necklace reveal, which like she shouldn't care anymore. Like, yeah, I, I think I that think the necklace so that, wasn't necessary there. I think though that there is something to be said for like, there's this moment when she's stuck in the cave earlier that Beth is like, listen, like the worst thing that could happen to you has already happened. Mm-hmm. Lost <laughs> thing um and i think there's a real sense that you know you could take from this for sarah that like she thought she had lost everything and then she found something else to lose which is like her ideal of her husband um you know not only did she yeah lose that's, her child that's and her husband but like it turns out her husband you know was cheating on her anyway yeah um you know which is which should be real fucking rough especially like beating yourself up for a year over you know over the loss of your husband and then finding out I mean, that he's been cheating on you anyway juna way earlier in the movie when they're having like their little picnic juno and beth are arguing and juno has this hor- horrific line <laughs> Oh yes, we didn't actually say it. Where she says, uh, "We all lost someone, something in that accident." But she deserves to die for that line. <laughs> yeah, I, that's. Yeah, I feel like that's yikes, the most yikes, moral yikes. thing that she did. Like, if I were Beth, I would have slapped her right. Then. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> How dare you? It's consistent with her character. Sarah clearly had a character arc, even if that wasn't a positive character arc. I don't feel like Juno ever really had an arc because I don't feel like Juno at any point was capable of confronting her flaws. No. She did do a lot of running. She did a um, lot of running and never said, like, uh, sorry, sorry, guys. Yeah, sorry. Or, yeah, I, I accidentally killed Beth. It sucked. Yeah, she definitely implies that she is trying to uh, make up for all the shit that's gone wrong for Sarah by taking her into a strange cave that she can, you know, <laughs> explore and then name after her, which ends up getting everybody killed. It sure is convenient that the way Juno makes it up to Sarah is by doing the things that Juno wants to do. Yep. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, totally. I feel like Juno is a disaster, but is she evil? No, she's just a disaster. Yeah, she's a selfish and a terrible decision maker, but she's not evil. Yeah, you know, I do think that that does color the the ending where she gets pickaxe in the uh, in the calf quite a lot more in terms of sarah you know because this is this is not about juno getting her comeuppance this is about sarah and as you said ben like that's where the uk ending is that much more important because this isn't about surviving this is about descending and going as deep as possible if not Mm -hmm. and that's I think that's what it is, is that why that ending is so important, because in the UK version, in in the real version, it is a descent of like physically and mentally and spiritually that there is no coming up from. And then the US ending is you got out, but ghost you now. Yeah, and it was was, another trauma to follow you around. You've got more dead people. You have a new trauma that's you have a new trauma that's completely different than all the other trauma. Like the message is it turns what in the real version is Sarah's absolute abandonment of humanity and turns it into guilt yeah it's mm-hmm. so weird especially when it comes like what like two minutes at most after like she stabs juno yeah there's the 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 orpheus and the underworld climbing out of the uh, the skull pit and then the suburban ad where she's like screaming and, <laughs> and driving and they the difference yeah, a real weird fucking suburban ad <laughs> yeah, i mean it's just picture the ad where like it comes on they're like the suburban (laughs) (laughs) there are some shots of that that car that were very like um exploitative crying through the she drives the suburban recklessly through the forest the suburban comes out fine let me just say that the suburban's fine where it's like someone's doing all this intense driving around a course and then they just stop and you just look in and they're just sobbing <laughs> it'd be weird as hell i'd be like oh shit i gotta check out the new subarus i mean listen how better to sell a car in 2020 when you need a place to escape to yeah suburban <laughs> Oh my god, that is the perfect tagline over just a man, over just a person sobbing in their car. Yeah. <laughs> we know you can't handle it. You can. The suburban. <laughs> These are the slides I need to present in like my how to mar- how to market to millennials. <laughs> make it how relatable. To, how to make their depression your profits. <laughs> so uh back to the to the ending differences i think yes. a big difference between the two endings is that the the uk ending leaves her almost in a place of power she's kind yeah. of mastered this place yeah like, like, she's probably not gonna like do great but she's become kind of the master of the place in the u.s in that- version she is now helpless she won't be able to live well still uh, a victim in the way that she would want to yeah Yeah. Uh, and apparently the the ending was changed based on u.s test audiences so i'm not sure what that says about the u.s versus the uk that uh we would rather live in a terrible emotional pain than like just be masters of our own hell 
thing about I mean, that is a, like, did I they mean, that show the, the about America? Did, did they show the new ending to the American Test audiences? Because it's not like Army of Darkness, where like, oh yeah, no, like, oh I, no, he's he's fine actually. He made it back to normal I guess time, and is they did like they showed time. both endings, and the U.S. one tested higher, but apparently like not much higher. Because again, like like you said, Jeremy, it's not like the summary said where it's like, oh, the crawlers are coming in, and they're like they're gonna grab her any second. I like we end the movie like not with some people coming in it's a zoom out movie that's so claustrophobic we end it with a big open space that's still within this cave and now this cave doesn't feel so small and suffocating it feels like this big expansive world that sarah is now fully capable of living in Mm-hmm. She has that satisfied smile on her face. That oh yeah. my god, that is a that is a, such a like a haunting smile. I mean, with that that being the end of the movie, I think we talked a lot about Juno. So I I want to actually jump to not the first question I have on here, but the question of uh, race in this movie and are there any people of color in this movie? Juno is the only one. Everybody else is as white as sunlight. And, and then there's extra white people. Yeah, and then there's there's the even whiter people. And like it, it's really unfortunate because I think what then ends up happening is like the only person of color in this movie is not only technically like the villain of it, but is the one sleeping with the main character's husband. I mean, is is irresponsible and awful in a lot of ways. You've got that like that temptress woman, you know, uh, blame the woman side of cheating. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just. I mean, it's just it's just every net. It's just so many net negative narrative tropes and character traits if there was just one other like supporting character of color for sure yeah which there easily could have been it's a visual medium there should have been other people there anyway you can separate a shortage of black people people in the uk like exactly like this is this is a problem in any group of people movie like you split them up and everyone loses track of who's who so the more you could separate that the better it would have been yeah uh so to not make that choice seems more conscious than than it would need to be. And, and that is equally bad if going back to the first question that I have on here, if you do read Juno and Holly as potentially a couple and, you know, that your one bit of queer representation is, again, the lying, cheating, uh, irresponsible, you know, friend who gets everybody killed. Like, yeah, it's a problem coming and going. Um, and yeah, it doesn't help then that if you read it that way where it's like, Okay, the two biggest fuck ups of the movie are then like the supposed like queer couple. So it's like there's no way to get a charitable reading on that front. Yeah, it's the one time that like reading too like <laughs> reading the queer into it, it's not gonna work out very well. It's not gonna be a fun fanfic or headcanon no. for later. It's just it's even more of a disaster than the characters themselves. Yeah, um, like I I don't want to imagine their life outside of the cave either. And that's that's the idea of romance for them. <laughs> Taking, taking each other to places that you lied about where it is and then running blindly through the darkness after each other. <laughs> Real romance. Both of those are, are a little rough. There's not really anything to say about class in this movie. Everybody is presumably rich enough to just go on a vacation in the in the mountains, in Appalachian Mountains, USA. Uh, that famous theme I park. mean, and for a good number of them, these are like, I guess, cross-Atlantic trips. But again, I don't, this isn't us. We're not comparing. There's no class dynamics between them and the weird, terrible cave people. Um, so I guess the two questions that they that are really interesting in this are are about mental illness and feminism. How do we feel about? 
the depiction of Sarah's trauma and, and how it's dealt with in this movie? I feel like it's dealt with a certain amount of weight. It's a, a lot of it is about that. What is it saying? Certainly bad. I think it's saying regardless of mental health, don't go in caves because caves <laughs> will make it worse. <laughs> yeah, I, think- I, I don't think there is any point where they, they deal specifically with it in a way that is insensitive. I think Sarah's descent into madness is much less a mental health issue and much more uh, like... It uh, feels more... <laughs> It feels more Apocalypse Now than it does, like, I don't know exactly know what to say, but I feel like Apocalypse Now kind of Colonel Clank, like that kind of- Yeah, the of heart just, of darkness. Yeah, the heart of, it's more heart yeah. of darkness than explicit, like, mental illness did this. Yeah, and she didn't go into this in a good state of mind. Like, no. she seemed to be working on it. I mean, she uh, was already getting attacked by, like, night eagles throwing pipes at her. Well, <laughs> uh, yes, but you can, you know- Dreams happen would be separate from like having hallucinations or hearing oh, I, giggles. I, I get it. Twitter's been showing up in my nightmares. <laughs> and that is bad. So like yeah. she's been she's been dealing with it. The thing I've I've uh, noticed with it is that the the trauma w- she carried it with her, but it wasn't the the horror of the movie wasn't about the trauma. No. But at the end, she kind of accepts the trauma, the um, the loss and everything, like after everything she's been through, which was subje- like she was subjected to, like all these things are not result of her specific decisions. These are these are things she was subjected to. And, you know, she was dealing with them as they came. <laughs> and, you know, at a certain point, she kind of breaks. And, you know, that's definitely a thing that can happen. And, and it's something a reality that a lot of us got to face with, you know, people who have been through all that. Um, Sarah was a Linkin Park song. And everything Juno said to her sent her one step closer to the edge. I mean, yes. I just but... really want I really just wanted to make that tortured like Linkin Park joke. Well done. You did it. Yay! Yay! <laughs> I got to talk so, about Devil Man. You, you tried so hard Man. and got so far. Oh, good. Very, very good. That's not, I don't mean to sound shitty. I'm actually, this is very, very funny. That's all right. In, in the end, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's, it's almost mid, it's almost midnight. Um, oh my god okay so anyway um the she so she goes through this these traumatic events um and each time she's sort of revisiting that that loss with the uh the birthday cake hallucination but at the at finally the birthday cake hallucination is not associated with fear it's associated with acceptance at the very end yeah it's so, been a jump scare before and now it's a smile yeah, now it's like, oh, this is my place. And this, this is where I'm going to be comfortable and cozy and have hang out with my daughter who's not actually there. <laughs> but the, yeah, uh, like the main drama, I think what you said was, was a good uh, way of thinking about it. Um, that, so, you know, the drama, the, the main drive of the story isn't her trauma. It's, it's, you know, cave people eating everyone. Like that has nothing to do with her trauma. It just is, adds to her already you know, more fragile state. But anybody in this situation would also be going nuts by the end of this movie. Like I was going nuts just watching this movie. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think there's something to be said for Sarah being a survivor too. Like he does throughout the movie what she has to do to survive. She she gets up, she continues her life without her husband and child. And once we get into the cave, she survives when she has to. She learns to adapt and fight these things and become more like these things. And you know, by the end it seems like for her, escape doesn't hold anything that she wants. Even if she gets out, the implication is she will still be haunted. There's nothing for her out there. Um, mm-hmm. Now all of her friends are dead too. So like she's she's created this world for herself in which you know she can be happy, even though she has not 
escaped this cave. I don't, I don't know. There, there's something to be said for like that being a sort of victory for her, like her, um, you know, making it through and surviving in the end, even if that survival doesn't doesn't really look like something we're comfortable with. For sure. Well, there's also the fact that she didn't actively step on anybody, cut Juno to survive. And I think that's what really broke her. But before that, she was doing her best not to to sacrifice anybody else. Like even with Beth, who she was trying to find a way out with that, like, oh, we're, you know, because she was saying to Beth, like, okay, well, we'll get everybody and we'll bring you out of here. And Beth is like, no, nah, have you seen my neck? You know, she, she did what she had to do, but it was only in the end when she actually made like a sacrifice to become, I think that's where she really became that monster was there. And then she you know and that's why i think it's important that she stayed there yeah like that and i also think that there's a certain element to this movie about how not to deal with mental illness how everybody trying to help her is not doing her any favors there are a lot of steps that people make that are not exactly helpful for sarah you know convincing her to take this trip for starters and you know there's this whole element of trying to force somebody to heal which i think it also came up in black christmas where you're you know with with people who've gone through traumatic um experiences you can't force them to heal you can't be like pull yourself up by your bootstraps come on you have so much to live for blah 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 blah. that's not how you do it doesn't work as as well as one might think you know motivational speeches are great you know there's a difference between that and telling somebody that they have to do something in order to make themselves better when it's as complex as uh trauma and uh you know traumatic experience uh ptsd things like you know mental conditions there is a little bit of that in the movie um in that discussion but uh I, you know i don't think the movie was about trauma the same way that it like the babadook was about trauma yeah there really were things trying to eat her in that cave not a question yeah. I, I think you're right. I think it's he does a really interesting job dealing with PTSD and, and survival and survivor's guilt and all that all together in a way without actually like directly dealing with it. I, I guess that really leaves us with the, the last question, which is, is, I don't know, almost difficult to answer in this one, while at the same time being feeling like really obvious is, is this movie feminist? Bad ghoul representation. <laughs> like behind the scenes the inception of a of a movie like this that would have uh an all-woman cast you know was a decision i don't know if i want to call it a feminist decision because that's putting someone in it's putting words in somebody else's mouth but you know going through with that you know making them all capable but they all have their own issues going into this so that stuff is all is all good things uh, I could imagine someone saying, oh, I'm going to make this movie about a cave and it'll have an all-female cast. Since I'm doing that, I, I should tailor the threats to them to them being women. And that doesn't happen in this movie. There's uh, no threat of sexual violence from the ghouls at any point. In this exactly. No, no. Like, you know, that might be, I could see a writer either not thinking or just thinking too hard about it, uh, saying that like, oh, we should tailor these monsters. And, and that doesn't happen. So they get eaten just like anybody else got eaten. I guess my, my counterpoint on that would like, does this infidelity storyline exist in a mixed or, or all male movie? And that is a thought courtesy of, of my wife to be more feminist. <laughs> and when I was, I was telling her about the movie, she didn't watch it. And I was talking about it and she was like, yeah, does that, does that storyline happen in a different movie? And that was a, you know, a tougher question. Like I, I want to say I've seen that before, but I'm not, I can't, I couldn't think of a, 
a situation or couldn't think of a, a movie that has a, a, really anything similar to that. Well, yeah, there's I, a lot of the, you know, did you fuck my wife kind of stuff. I mean, I feel like it, you know, if it was an all male cast or if this was, this was tension between two male characters about be louder. Oh yeah. No, it would not be as subtle as, you know, here's my feather necklace. I'm going to pick you in the leg. Bye. It would, yeah. It would definitely yeah. not be done without dialogue. And I think it would become less of a, of a subtle plot too. Like it would definitely be more, more of a big deal. And it's also very tropey. It's very, you know, wrote mm-hmm. story about toxically masculine dudes who are fighting over a woman. I, I feel like, yeah, it would be very, very different if it wasn't all women or if it was, if, if Juno or uh, Juno and Sarah were both uh, male characters. If Juno was a dude, I think that's not to the point. However, <laughs> I mean, um, that'd be pretty good if it's still like, if Juno's a guy and everything else is the same and it's like, hi, I'm Guy Juno, I slept with your husband. I guess there <laughs> is that more explicit queer rep, but it's like worse. Also a hate Yeah, man. I mean, it's still burying the gays. Yeah, so. yeah. Now, yeah, yeah, and you're right. Now it turns Sarah into a hate crime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so you know what? I take it back. This really yeah, so. does not work. Yeah, there's yeah. not really a queer yeah. angle of this movie we're that Nixon, works. We're Nixon male Jordan. I mean, <laughs> we're going to be male, male Juno. Male Jordan. Jordan. Uh, yeah, uh, I, yeah, I think, okay. you know, if Sarah had a wife, that would work potentially. That's, that's an instance where queer representation works here. But then the movie begins with the wife getting a, like, a pipe through the head. Yeah. Oh, yes. I, mean, I mean, you know, I, I do wonder if it is a movie with a large cast of people and you bury everybody, is it still like very gay's trope? Um, I don't know. If you know the only, the only know. surviving character is a queer character and everybody else dies, that's, that's a whole different thing. I'm going to say we need queer rep to come from the crawlers. Maybe that's the only way it could work. Yeah, two of the crawlers are making out. Yeah. Uh, no. um, um, or like the queen crawler comes out and it's like a alien queen and it's like, ah, now let's make out. And then Sarah's like, yes. And then they're like, rule the crawlers together. I don't, I don't <laughs> we really, we're really, we're, I don't think we've ever reached quite this far. I mean, I now want to see what aliens fanfic you're reading with Ripley and the alien queen. Um, I, I thought they were all like that. I think that's just alien four. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Which was written by Joss Whedon and directed by the guy oh, who directed no. Anomaly. Oh, don't open that <laughs> puzzle sphere. Back to Cabin in the I mean, Woods. Okay, speaking of Joss Whedon, one of the things I do want to say about this movie is that from a technical standpoint, the way it is shot and the way that the characters are portrayed is, I think, very feminist in yes. that there are plenty of action movies in which women should not be sexualized in which they are. And I don't think at any point in this movie, any of these female characters are sexualized even before they go into the caves they are all always fully dressed they are always portrayed as competent you know they are on top of their shit juno going for a run and exercising uh that does something (laughs) i mean it's not like okay joss whedon shooting things from between wonder woman's legs like it's not any kind of that that kind of stuff Um, yeah we're not looking at juno's tits we're looking at her arms yes (laughs) Yes, we are, we are looking respectfully. Yes, and we are we are appreciating what she has uh, wrought with her um, incredible strength. Arms, <laughs> arms. <Yeah>. Okay, <laughs> so, so. That, that's all, that's all my brain's putting out at this point. So, so having answered all those questions, you know, uh, would we still recommend this movie? Do we think it was good? Do we think it's progressive? Do we think people should watch it? I think it's middlingly progressive. Yeah, yeah I'd give it maybe like. 
a C on the progressive scale, but just as it doesn't do anything well on the progressive scale, but it doesn't commit any like egregious, it doesn't do anything egregiously bad. And from a pure horror standpoint, it's still just fantastic. It is a fantastic, like all around horror movie. You know, if you want to want to watch a movie, sit down and turn on that monitor and want to just get the shit scared out of you. This is a perfect movie for that. I do think it's cool that it's all ladies. That's, I think, about as progressive as it gets. But, I mean, it's a well-done movie, and it is fucking terrifying. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because of the way it's set up, it just doesn't have the time to, beyond the casting decisions, doesn't have time to either be real good at it or be real bad at it. This story doesn't have room to, you know, hammer any real kind of points home. Yeah, and the the ways that it is progressive and revolutionary are ways that, like, I think we all wish were more common. You know, not sexualizing women, portraying women as as competent, having an adventure, you know, action horror movie in which, you know, there's not a, you know, that Juno isn't a dude leading the group, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and that you can have a variety of, of female characters with different personalities and different qualities and skill levels and things like that even if none of those differences are reflected in the colors of their skin or their sexuality that you can have a a, a cast that is diverse in in the way they are portrayed i feel like this movie is like where like we should expect like the low bar to be and that this is still like such a high accomplishment just speaks of how low the bar actually is Mm -hmm. absolutely when i was talking uh talking about it with my wife i was like i feel like this is just a movie from the future that we want where like you just make a scary movie and there's no, you know, not a lot of dumb stuff in it. I mean, you know, like things that you don't have to to think about. But yeah, this is like the baseline for a, a scary movie. And like look, end of the day, this is some very effective propaganda being pushed by the big anti-cave lobby. <laughs> <laughs> it's because they don't want you to go down there. And find the hollow earth. Shit, Neil Adams is right all along. God damn it. You should just frack it all, is what you're saying. It's just yeah. like, frack the shit out of it. Frack, frack it all and let the crawlers sort it out. <laughs> right. I can't believe I said that. On that note, uh, let's talk recommendations. Jason, if uh, somebody watched The Descent and they're looking for something to follow it up with, they'll like equally as much, what would you, what, where would you point them? So uh, the obvious choice is Descent 2, which Electric takes Google. the U.S. ending in that Sarah is out for all of two days and then they go back to like, because uh, like the authorities think that she killed them all. And she's like, no, there's this cave and there's these crawlers down there and that's what happened. So they like frog march her to the cave and make her go back into the cave. There's none of the like all female thing. It's 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 gonna give you the same crawlers, claustrophobia scares, but in a Does shittier anyone way. Bring a gun because I feel like as scary as the crawlers are, once a machine gun enters the picture, they get a lot less scary. I'm not sure maybe I love the idea of trying to navigate those, those caves with a machine gun. Yeah. Fair. Fair. Limited limited usefulness. And do you want to punch holes in the rock that's above your head? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, for for more uh, claustrophobia scares, there's that uh, Buried movie with Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds <laughs> in a box, the movie. Uh. <laughs> that one is has a lot of the, it's like all claustrophobia. And then there's, uh, so there's a book called The Descent, 
which for a while I thought this was based on, and it is not apparently. Uh, but it is about people going underground and finding cannibal underground dwellers. But it's it's chuds, uh, chuds if you will, uh, cannibal humanistic, humanistic or something. Uh, so, but it it gets into like it's way bigger than this. There's huge operations and military stuff and a nun is the main character it's a lot bigger than this but it's it's named the same with the same premise but more is this Uh, based on that russian like that that fake russian recording of hell maybe there's a lot of there's a lot of like uh oh if if angels were real devils must be real too like a lot of odd stuff in there but but similar similar enough that i was like oh we read this book about, you know, monsters underground, and we're going to make a version of that we can film for $30 million. And then, like, wow. at the same time that this movie came out was a movie called The Cave in a real, like, Armageddon Deep Impact kind of way. Uh, and The Cave is the shitty, super Hollywood version of this movie. Yeah, apparently, from what I was reading, The Descent was, like, rushed into filming because of The Cave. You know, they they had both of these things, and The Cave started happening, and people were like, well, fuck, we got to get this other cave movie made before they do that. Like, I always want to hear the phone call where you get that news. They're like, there's another cave movie. Well, it definitely worked out for them because I feel like The Descent is definitely... I don't think anyone remembers the cave while we're still here talking about the descent. All right, uh, Emily, what do you got to recommend? Well, there's a couple things. There's the uh, uh, the terror in this movie, the sort of first person terror. If you if you're into that and something a little bit more with the monsters, um, there's a really great found footage sort of kind of found footage movie called Troll Hunter, which is from Norway, and it is a team of students go and they go into some caves, they go into some forests, and they find a real actual trolls which are not not, nothing to do with trolls world tour but um (laughs) it's a great movie yeah it's it's, not trolls world tour yeah um i mean trolls world tour has its own merits certainly but not in this regard and then the book series annihilation there's a movie of annihilation it's pretty cool you know i'm not as into it as the books the books do a really good job sort of natural wonder becoming terrifying and you have this really awesome all-female cast of characters. I I believe it's a very feminist work and it also has Mm -hmm. a little bit of that, you know, becoming the monster, which I don't want to spoil too much, but it's a really fascinating read and also very, like, it's very spooky in that sort of galaxy brain. Good connection. Uh, So, uh, Ben, what you got for us? So, I think just trying to think of a movie that can match that level of terror and creepiness and also something that deals with a little bit of like you know overground versus underground but throws in like a whole heck of a lot of themes and just so so much to think about while still just being the scariest goddamn movie to come out in years is us mm-hmm. yeah sure that's a good movie <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's a good movie. Uh, we're definitely going to be talking about that sometime soon. That's on our on our list. So if you're listening to this in the distant future, look for the episode where we talked about us. It's I'm sure it's up there somewhere. Okay, so as for me, I had two things. Um, one of which is a, a film that I think captures the sort of scary side of this and the creature side of this a bit, uh, which is R.E.C. as in record. It is 
I'm talking about the original Spanish version. There is an American version called Quarantine, I think. But the Spanish version is, uh, it's all done as sort of found footage. It's about this uh, camera crew, this reporter and this cameraman who uh, are making this show where they follow around different people during their their jobs, specifically at nighttime. So they're riding along in this show with, with a fire crew and they get a call to this place where, you know, somebody is, is acting strangely and very quickly spirals out of control into a big zombie movie where, you know, the, the government then quarantines the building while they're in it and they can't leave. So they are locked in with these this increasing infection and all these other mysterious things that are going on. And it is, it's quite a spooky movie. You know, it is in Spanish. Um, so, you know, you will have to you have to do the subtitles thing. It's still very effective even if Spanish is not a language you speak. It's definitely worth checking out. The American version is, is not nearly as good. Uh, the other one, which feels very on the nose to me, uh, <laughs> my first thought was the, the Tomb Raider game from 2013. So it's the, the relaunch of the Tomb Raider franchise, which is, I think, you know, still available on current platforms of, of gaming systems. And the thing about that game is it does the same kind of thing the Descent does of starting out with a story that is a non-supernatural survival story quickly turning into a first a guns blazing survival story and then a all out uh, supernatural survivor story with forces well beyond uh, your your character Laura Croft's control. It is not the anybody who played the first run of Tomb Raider games there's a very like uh, overly cool um, chill about everything sure whatever zombies and mummies and dinosaurs uh, vibe to those games. And this one is very much like, oh, holy shit, there's, you know, evil spirits uh, trying to kill us and all, all sorts of things out there after us. And it is, it's, it's, it can be a little traumatizing because uh, there are things that will kill you in this game in ways that you're like, oh shit, I didn't want to see what just happened to my character. I have yeah, failed. they're very... Those it feels lower Croft. Very yeah, very intense deaths in this game. Uh, it feels a lot like the descent in that way of, you know, there being real danger, both supernatural and non-supernatural throughout the game. You know, that whole series plays pretty well and does a much better job of, of not being control sexy Indiana Jones like the original series is. Right. I believe there's a blood pool in the first game too. So that's good. I oh, think nice. so. Yeah. Similar, similar decorating choices all right well that is the the recommendations that is their our show so why don't we uh do our outros here jason can you let everybody know where they can find you online yeah my main website is strutsart.com and right now i got a whole bunch of uh drawloween art that i just put up for sale uh, and you can find me at uh, strutsart on instagram and twitter and uh jason struts on facebook jump on my mailing list and uh, you can get some uh, sneak peek next month of uh, upcoming webcomic. Uh, my first thing that I have written and, and drawn myself and uh, should be going up sometime first quarter of next year. It's got uh, ghost zombies and ghost zombies and swords. Rad. They're all things I like. Oh my God. And of course, uh, I did mention it before, but if you if you like our podcast art, that is Jason's work as well. So, you know, if you need a, if you need a spooky picture out there, uh, he's, he's a, a good man for it. And Emily, uh, where can people find you online? Um, I'm at uh, Megamoth on Twitter, Mega underscore Moth on Instagram, and Megamoth on uh, Patreon. I actually, I'm, I have also been uploading a bunch of the uh, October Drawing Challenge stuff on there if you want to see some spooky stuff and of course all the, the most of the princeless books co-create princeless with jeremy so you can find princeless on comiXology or from your local bookshop um bookshop.org by the way is a really great way to circumvent other sources of books 
and get them from your local shop. And last but not least, I am also at megamoth.net. It's not called on uh, the internet, which is uh, another really great social media platform that I recommend. You're big on the internet, huh? Um, That's the World right. Wide Web, I hear they call it. All right. You can find me on Twitter at, at @benthecon or on my website at benconcomics.com. Uh, you can find all my comics, uh, Shaman, Heavenly Blues, and Griffin Galaxy's Most Wanted in print, or they're all available on Comixology. And the upcoming Renegade Rule is now available for pre-order on Amazon and the Penguin Random House website. You can find me on Twitter, uh, where I spend far too much time, at J-R-O-M-E-5-8. That's J-R-O-M-E-5-8. Uh, you can also find me on uh, Instagram under the same name uh, and at jeremywhitley.com. And as far as the podcast, we have launched a Patreon. We would love for you guys to come take part in that. Uh, we're getting ready to start preloading episodes so you'll get to listen to things before they officially launch. If you're part of the Patreon, you'll also have a chance to to get a, a cool t-shirt with the podcast design on it. If you you know come in at, at a high enough level, at the very least, you will get our upcoming Patreon-exclusive podcast uh, that we, we announced on Thanksgiving, which is Progressively Furious, uh, reviews of the Fast and Furious uh, franchise starting at number one this month. So that'll be a, a ton of fun. So you know, please check us out there and uh, you, know, you can give, even if it's just a couple of dollars, it'll make a huge difference to us and paying for things like hosting and zoom and things like that you can also leave us reviews on wherever you downloaded this whatever podcatcher you use so you know apple podcast is great uh any anything you do and you know for sure follow us on twitter let us know uh, you're listening to the podcast and enjoying it it is prog horror pod on twitter so progressive horror podcast p-r-o-g horror pod um and you can follow us on there for all kinds of uh, cool updates on, on what we're doing and what's coming out. That's going to do it for us for this week. Make sure you join us next week, which will be January 8th, as we're talking about Ready or Not. We're going to have our special guest, author Justina Ireland. Until then, have a good evening. Progressively Horrified is created and produced by Jeremy Whitley. This episode featured Jeremy Whitley, Ben Kahn, Emily Martin, and Jason Strutz. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and not intended to represent the intent or opinions of the filmmakers, nor do they represent any of the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. You can become an important part of Progressively Horrified by becoming a member of our Patreon at patreon.com slash progressivelyhorrified. The fans have spoken. Uh, when I said that uh, Alicia did not want to talk about this podcast she did not want to rewatch this movie because the first mm -hmm. time she watched it it traumatized her mm -hmm. everybody then responded that they really wanted to hear what alicia had to say about this movie so please everybody welcome our special guest teacher mom wife amazing woman person who is willing to put up with me more than one time a week alicia whitley so, okay. and editor yeah you left yes, some jobs editor. there uh editor <laughs> um, I'm sure there are more. Person who loves to listen to Rachel Maddow in the bathroom. Oh, yes, um, I do enjoy that. Yeah.
It's horrifying. You know, you would think that once you've been horrified by like the real events of the world, that things like the descent couldn't get to you anymore. You would think. You would think. However, that's incorrect. Having refused to rewatch this with me, yes. and establishing that we watched this for the last time some 13 years ago? It was, it was a, yeah. Tell me what you remember and what what you despise about The Descent. Do you want me to just summarize the movie for you? I, I just want you to, <laughs> why don't you tell everybody why you refused to watch The okay. Descent with me? So there are a couple of rules that I have about things that I don't watch things that I will turn off in the middle of. And when I was younger, child endangerment was not one of those things. I used to be able to watch a Harry Potter or read an Oliver Twist without feeling anything. Then I had kids and that was all out the window. However, we watched The Descent before we had kids. Yes. And I was horrified. Let me tell you, I was horrified by the scene with the truck and it's got like pipes on the back of it or something like that. This would be the opening of the movie. Yes, it was the opening of the movie. This is how the movie starts. And to this day, Jeremy Whitley, I cannot drive behind a truck with like pipes or logs or anything on it because I am convinced that those things are going to shoot off the back of the truck and they're going to come through the window and they're going to smash me in the face and they're going to kill my kids. Even when the kids aren't in the car. Even when the kids aren't in the car, I'm convinced it's going to kill the kids. It's just going to find their, they're going to find their way like holding them wherever they are. (laughs) Shoot off the top of the thing, skip down the road to the preschool, right through the window. I've got to say, before I continue with the other thing that absolutely horrified me about this film, Mm -hmm. other than like their depiction of like the Appalachian Mountains. I, I mean, Appalachian where... Mountains, USA. Right, exactly. Because that's where they were, right? Because I will be talking about that. Or <laughs> by the time people hear this, I will have talked about the fact that this movie occurs in Appalachian Mountains, United States of America. <laughs> so, you know, Jason. And, well, Jason, um, I guess you are from New York. You all have Appalachian Mountains there. Is that is that true? Uh, I believe in New York we have the Appalachian Mountains. Oh, that's right. You guys have the weird one. I thought they had the Catkill Mountains. I, I forgot to go Multiple back gas. and see how they pronounced it in this I think movie. New York has the Adirondack Mountains. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Are those yes. the chairs? Yes? Mm-hmm. The cat skills. They have skills. The cats have skills. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was cat's kill. Uh, I see. Cat's kills. Anyway, other than being horrified by how they like movie. depicted the region. I mean, they don't have any... like backwoods yokels though do they no okay no. so at least no. they're you know thank thank goodness for nobody that. it would seem is from or lives in the appalachian mountains or I the appalachian they, they, mountains portrayed it as mossier than it is but i think that's about it when i was a kid i used to be horribly afraid of freddy krueger like but he's the most whimsical of all the slashers you know, but i was four when i watched it <laughs> so like at the time the whimsy escaped me And I remember very clearly, as I was getting older, being afraid of the dark, and I remember very clearly thinking to myself, there's no such thing as Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger is fake. I'm just going to walk down this hallway because there is no Freddy Krueger. This is Alicia's grand unified theme of horror movies. But then my (laughs) four-year-old, five-year-old brain was like, Freddy Krueger doesn't exist, but if somebody came up with it, has to be it has to exist somewhere. Like maybe there's no such thing as Freddy Krueger, but maybe there's somebody just like him. And that's why I'm afraid of log trucks now. Hmm. So it all goes back to Freddy Krueger. Okay. The other thing that absolutely horrified me by this movie, I'm not particularly claustrophobic, 
or particularly afraid of um, small spaces, but I am afraid of getting stuck. And I'm also afraid of being upside down in enclosed spaces. Mm. Like that's a thing that I can't do. And any movie about spelunking is an automatic out no for me. No, they were in underground in an enclosed space. That's a no. It was dark. Oh, do they do that thing in the movie where they have a light that's like really up close to someone's face and then the other person's like breathing really hard and stuff like that? And they're like, oh, 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 there's a thing behind me. Do they do that? I, Not maybe. much. There is, they do uh, part of the way through the movie introduce the infrared camera, um, sure. which is the, we will talk about is the best jump scare in this movie. The first good look at them is through that uh, camera. Okay. It's kind of it's behind her, and it's just kind of standing there, like, "Hey, can I be friends?" And then uh, it isn't. No, it's not friendly. <laughs> yes. And then finally, the yeah, Morlocks the creeped me out. That's that's just really creepy. Uh, can I talk about the end? Is we? I'm I'm gonna put this. I think after our credits. Okay. So the last part that creeped me out, like, okay, this goes back to a phobia that I've had since I was a kid. So when I was a kid, I used to love watching the Superman movies, like with um, Christopher Reeves with his little spit curl. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Okay, do you remember the movie with Neil before Zod? Do you remember? Yeah, the, yeah. Okay. Superman 2. Superman 2. the Thank first you. one I saw. That was the first one I saw too. Actually, I think the first one I saw was the one with um, Richard Pryor, but that it's just an odd place for a kid to start with Superman. Um, oh, hey, do you remember at the end what Zod and his little buddy's punishment was? Superman put them in glass and threw them out into space to just fly into space for forever in that little frame of glass. And that to me was the most horrifying punishment that anyone could ever have. And it was cruel. And I think Superman deserves to go to the Hague for that. That was (laughs) awful. And so at the end of the descent where she thinks that she's out and she thinks that she's free. And then you realize that she's still underground. It just brought back up Superman two vibes for me. So maybe it wasn't the descent that traumatized me. Maybe it was Freddy Krueger and Superman <laughs> and all of the movies that I watched as a child that horrified me. I mean, and this movie does, just Superman does some traumatizing things in those movies. He does some very messed up things in those movies. For such wholesome, well-remembered movies, there's some pretty dark stuff. Can we talk the- about the fact that Lois Lane gets crushed to death. And so he decides to reverse the earth to save her. Do you know how many other people like died at that moment? Right. Did he I reverse mean, the earth for them? What if they magically managed to escape, but then he reversed the earth and then like they died. He didn't think about the consequences of his actions. Well, I think, I think that's actually what happens at the end of this movie. This movie takes place at the same time Superman goes back and flies back. <laughs> That's how Superman. we have the descent too. To me, I always have yeah. the question of Superman, how did you know you had amnesia kissing powers? <laughs> yeah, that's a good discovering that power. I don't know, Ben. I don't remember. Superman <laughs> is a super villain. Where's... He's a criminal. And I don't like him very much, but I feel like that's a talk for another podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, my wife, Alicia Luther. <laughs> <laughs> Alicia for president. 